Tyler. I'm Danny. And this is going to be episode 39 of Fried Squirms yeah. from Missoula, Montana. Straight out of the zoo. And we're here to talk about another horror movie oh with you guys. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this one is a, an interesting tale of sorts, which we'll delve into, of course. Yeah, oh I'm really God. excited, not only for doing this film, but for all the cool little nuggets that we're about to drop today. You might have cool little nuggets to drop. Now, I will readily admit that I did not prepare as well as I usually do for a movie. So I try to make up for that. I've never seen this movie all the way through. I guess this is a little bit how to do squealish. Okay, it's no worries. But being part of horror fandom in general, like I know the ending, I know the twist. And also, you know, I've listened to a number of other things that talked about this movie. Oh, yeah. And I've seen clips here and there of some of the little bits, but never seen it all the way through. So I thought the best thing I could do with this movie is go into it. I mean, like I said, I know the ending, but still just try to go into it as empty-headed as I can, <laughs> as, as just clear-minded as I could, just trying to take it all in as best as I could. I mean, it was technically the very first time, but... Oh, there's always and, first times on this show. So I don't have many technical details, but this... Okay. Oh my, this movie. It's a gem. This is the most notes I've taken in a long time. Nice, dude. And I believe many of them aren't so much notes as me asking questions, going, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Can't wait to get to the how did this make you squeal, but before let's do that, gonna get some bolts Well, this? do you want to catch our listeners up to any activities you've been up to? Well, I mean, I guess the one thing I do want to catch them up on is if they didn't look at the name of this episode, the movie we're doing is Sleepaway Camp. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we should mention that we're doing Sleepaway Camp for our 39th episode. I suppose I just talked around that for like a minute and a half. That's but. okay, but I mean, we are alluding to the fact that we're going to get into a film that came out in the early 80s. We'll mention the year and whatnot in our next section, but yeah, I guess as far as the updates before we get into it. Oh, it's raining. Um, Everything's nice and clear outside yeah. for us. So our some of our wishes did come true with the rain, which is cool, but I do have a question before we begin our, our podcast into Sleepaway Camp. Raise your hand if your team is currently 2-0. so we got that going for us (laughs) it's been a good weekend yeah it's been a good weekend uh we're talking about football here but anyhow no outside of that i got to watch this film twice i do recommend if you've seen it once watch it on one and a half speed (laughs) it's awesome i do recommend seeing it oh yeah we go any further yeah definitely watch this movie is a fucking experience go watch it yeah oh my god so yeah i mean outside of that you know we didn't mention we saw it last week so i'm still Feeling good about seeing that and mm-hmm. feeling good about our episodes. I've still been trying to figure out times and ways to go watch it again. Although there's a lot of other movies coming up that I really want to see, so I might just hold back. Yeah, no, the uh, good thing is it'll probably be around for a bit in the theaters. You know, even if it's not, they've already announced that the home video release is going to be 15 minutes longer. Oh, no And shit. like what a couple of the scenes are that they're nice. adding back in, and I'm, I'm super stoked. Yeah. Stuff like a little bit more after Stanley's bar mitzvah, mm. and a little bit more at the top of the cliffs when Bev jumps in before them. Cool. Apparently, Eddie does something. Huh. Well, know. that's going to be fun to find out. Maybe we, when the time comes, we can give her a take on the, maybe the added footage. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited about that. So for I might those be who able haven't to hold seen off it, knowing it that there's going to be extra footage. Yeah. Um, and you just take in all the other shit that's going to be coming out in this fall. Well, you know, for people who don't like to go to the theater, maybe that'll be a good excuse for them to pick it up for a home viewing. 
Well, and I'm a huge nerd, so like I do have to pace myself for like Thor Ragnarok coming out. Oh man, there's so much good shit coming out yeah. soon. So yeah, I, I can totally agree with that. Yeah, outside of that, man, I am ready to rock this film. Let's do this. Guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. So we already said episode 39, Sleepaway Camp. Yeah, we're in the guts and, and bolts now. And I am going to have to rely on you for the technical hey, details no worries, right man. now. I knew that you would have them. Oh, yeah. I usually come with a deck. And because I'm coming with a straight confusion on this one. It's not as confusing as it's made out to be, but dear God. I can help fill in some of the gaps, ma'am. Sorry. Well, that's the thing. It's not It's not real confusion. It's still nah, just... I, I know what you mean. Ooh. There are some questions to be asked, regardless of how many times you've seen this. Right. Let's start with the synopsis, though. Yeah, synopsis is a good way to start our podcast, uh, which you had mentioned in a couple of episodes ago. That Probably a good way to get our, our listeners into what we're doing. This movie's kind of a slasher at a summer camp, mm-hmm. except it's also kind of a whodunit thriller. You don't know who the killer is till the end. Stick around for the ending. You really don't know who the killer is till the end. Yeah. They throw some wrenches at you, which we'll talk about. But I think that's a good brief synopsis of what the film is about. It follows a couple cousins and their adventures at summer camp. Yeah. And really, I would kind of liken this movie to... I mean, like, if you're a fan of slashers, especially, like, Jason sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. But also, if you're a fan of, like, what, Hot American Summer. That's a good one to compare it to because it's funny you mentioned that one. I'll mention some interesting things about the connections of those two. But yeah, if you're familiar with summer camps, if you're familiar with slasher films, if you're familiar with the 1980s, this will be right up your alley. If you're a fan of Salute Your Shorts. Yeah, hell yeah. Or Bug Juice. Bug Juice, Heavyweights. Oh my God, yes. Oh, oh my, yeah. Heavyweights so, yeah. in a big bad way. There's an, I made a note about that. Yeah, like, so there's a lot of tie-ins connected to this film. I mean, it's a horror movie. Like I said, I'd even classify it as a slasher flick. Oh, totally. it's done more in a, like, whodunit style than your standard slasher. Precisely. I think that's a good way of looking at it, because you really don't know up until the very end. That's all I can say about that. But, so we are doing Sleepaway Camp. It came out in 1983 here in the United States. Our director for this film is Robert Hiltzik. After he directed this film, he became a lawyer because he was very young when he did this film. I think he was like 23 when he directed this film. Later on, he gave over the rights to this film or the licensing rights to the film to a different director who did two sequels. He later reclaimed the rights, and with that, he helped do Return to Sleepaway Camp, which was his sequel. His sequel, yeah, exactly. And Sleepaway Camp 3, I think he had some writing maybe producing help on that, also helped write this film. Our cinematographer for this film is Benjamin Davis. He's noted for doing films as Sudden Death and The Survivalist. Uh, We have two editors for this film, Ron Kalish and Sharon L. Ross. Ron Kalish, I only put down one credit because this is really the only credit that we need to talk about. Can I point out something right now? Yeah, sure. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if, like, nobody in this had a very long list of credits. It's one of those movies. Yeah. Yes, oh, I agree with you there. I'll let you finish naming off this yeah, no credit, problem. but then no there's problem. one thing that I kind of wanted to bring up during the synopsis, because I think it kind of fits as being part of the synopsis okay. and to help you understand what you're getting into with this movie. <laughs> but I'll let you finish this credit that you're about to do first. No, it's okay. Ron Kalish is the person I'm talking about, one of the editors. 
he worked on a film called The Italian Stallion. Now, when I mention that name, who do you think of? Wait, are you talking like Italian Stallion, like at Miss Kitty's place? You know I am. So, he worked on the fucking porn flick that Sliced Alone did? You know it. (laughs) That's why I said this is the only film that you need to know about with this gentleman. Wow. Yeah. So, I was like, whoa, this is fucking pretty awesome. I do want to mention Sharon's, and then we'll get into uh, what you want to say, is uh, Sharon Ross, she worked on uh, a lot of Ernest films, like Ernest Goes to Camp. Oh, okay. Ernest uh, Saves Christmas. Uh, I would like to cover Ernest Scared Stupid at some point. Yeah, that would be a good one for a a more lighthearted film. I love Ernest. Yeah. And she also worked on a film, because I do like to talk about cult films, Uh, she worked on a 19, I think it's 82 film called Liquid Sky. Okay. Super psychedelic yeah. surreal film that came out of New York. So uh, if you like a cult film, or not cult, well, maybe cult films, check out Liquid Sky. She worked on that. But all right. If you if you don't like cult films, what are you doing listening to this episode? Yeah, I mean, fucking hell. Um, so I'd say this might be the first movie we've done that legitimately falls into the so bad it's good category. On the way driving over here, I was thinking about how I really feel about this film. And I went through a couple of different emotions. Like, at first, I was like, man, this might be up there with, like, Wizard of Gore as far as maybe one of those is so bad it's good that you were mentioning. And then I started thinking about it this way, too. But Wizard like, of Gore was good for its yeah. time period. Well, exactly. This film now, people notably know it's cheesy when you look at the films that it stacks up in comparison to. But I have a I have a different feeling after watching some of the behind the scenes and making ofs and listening to who was all involved. I have a little different feeling, and I'll talk about probably at the end. This film definitely, know, though, is known for being a film that's so bad it's good, which is a very subjective category, which yeah. kind of like exploitation movies. There's some exploitation movies that are on the fringe. Some people are like, that's not exploitation, that's... It's this, this, this. little subgenre. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Whatever. And but so we, we get it. your mileage may vary. I get it. But you kind of have to know that going into it, too, because the movie's pretty fucking ridiculous. It is. But it doesn't really realize it's as ridiculous as it is. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Was there something in the synopsis that you wanted to add to it? I That's that... what I wanted okay. to add. Was that I, I think that helps sort of. Oh, yeah. This film, I don't think it takes itself too serious, which is good in a way. And then in other ways, it comes off as like, say, we'll, we'll talk about really cheesy, schlocky, but it's all right. This film is one of those films, like we mentioned, cult films being for people who know about this film, they probably love oh it. Oh my God, I can't wait to show this film to so many fucking people. Yeah. Oh, it's my great, God. man. It, I think it's a great group film, like a group of friends watching it together. It's a great film for that. Yeah. Oh, and that's... I mean, it's fun watching it by yourself, but I think a group experience is more appropriate for this film so think about that too watch this with a group of people it's fantastic anyway let's go back into the credits uh you have that shit like okay. i said so i left off with our editors i'm going to move on to our music it was composed by edward billis he chose to do which was different for slasher films he didn't choose to do synthy music he chose more to do orchestral work which is rampant throughout this film you can hear it in various scenes. But most notably, he worked on the films, or I think this was more adapted to like a miniseries, was Scottsboro, an American Tragedy, in Frontier House. That's what he's known for. Special effects, I want to mention a couple of names because they're very important for this film. Because this film had some pretty cool effects. For its time period, they used more practical effects than anything. No CGI, mm-hmm. 
non-existent in this film. William Billowit, he was the uh, special effects coordinator for this film, and he worked on things like uh, this film called Making Shit Up, and he did Naked Under Heaven. He was director. He did a lot of different work, too, outside of his special effects work. I think he was a director as well for films. Edward Felton was the mechanical special effects person for this film. And this is something I was going to mention, too, is like most of the behind-the-scenes costume, makeup, mm-hmm. a lot of producers, etc., they worked on the creep shows, movies, that is. So he was most notably working on creep shows one and two, their dark half, Tales from the Dark Side, the episode Trick or Treat, which I think was the pilot episode for Tales from the Dark Side, the okay. television series. So that was a 1983 episode. And one other person I wanted to mention, too, because they worked mostly on a lot of the prosthetics and special effects design. person's name is Edward French. So these three people were heavily working on the special effects, and I think they did a phenomenal job giving the, the budget and given the time period they worked mm-hmm. in. Producers I didn't mention in this film is Robert Hiltzik. He was executive producer. Jerry Silva and Michelle uh, Titosian, which she wound up marrying our director. They're oh, a couple. Yeah. Cool. So they've been together since, I think, 82. Oh. She's actually in a scene I'll mention later on. Production uh, company for this film is American Eagle, distributed by United Films Distribution Company in 1983 for its United States theatrical release. This is the second film in a row that we've done that was released on my birthday. No shit. Yeah, and I that's why I was like, before we were doing this, I was like, oh shit. I was like, I realized what date it came on, but I didn't realize that we've done two in a row now on my birthday, wow. which is kind of cool. That's Yeah, so this film weird. came out November 18th, 1983. That's fucking strange yeah this is the way our podcast has been working it's no wow. coincidence anymore <laughs> the budget was right at three hundred fifty thousand dollars. this is an interesting story i'll i'll mention it real briefly the director originally i think he had fifty thousand dollars i think he okay. raised for the film unfortunately his mother passed away and a part of the insurance claim was like 300 grand so with that money he wound up completing this film so that's why the budget's three hundred fifty thousand. Oh wow! And huh. at the beginning of the film, there's a little memorial for his mother. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the gross for this film is astronomical given its budget, eleven million dollars. That's insane. That is crazy, and I'll mention that's in fucking. There are two films. First that, off, it's insane that this movie made eleven million dollars. Here's the thing that's really interesting too, and I, this is helping watching uh, those behind the scenes and making ofs. Is this film was released in like 83 to 85 theaters, I think in New York, not the city, but in New York State. And that was unheard of. Like back then, you didn't have like these huge releases for films like that. And it went up against a film called Yentl, which I think is a Barbara Streisand film. And also was up against Amityville 3D. Oh, wow. For that okay. opening weekend. And it was the number one film that opening weekend. It beat both of those films. Wow. I like, so I think I'm going to say wow a number of times during this amazing fucking podcast. For That's for all insane. these yeah, for all of these reasons this film is That's insane. It's, it's awesome. All right, this is the last thing before Watch we get into movie the cast. Watch this movie and you'll understand why that's insane. Before we get into the cast, you know, I like my taglines for films. Okay, yeah, what's the tagline for this? There's a couple of them. I'm going to tell you the poster and the one I liked. So for the poster, you get Sleepaway Camp, the mm. dot 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 you won't be coming home. Okay. Okay. I like that. And then the one I liked, it says, a nice place for summer vacation, a perfect place to die. Oh, I like that too. I yeah. like that one. Was there any more that... I'm sure there were, but I didn't look them up. Yeah, whatever. They weren't worth much. noting. 
I don't care that much. You get two. I, I can't think anything <laughs> any more clever than that. I think it's both of those are to, kind of fitting. It's hard to truly sell this movie without giving away too much. No. No. Yeah, we should sell it short right there. All right, so we're going to get into the cast, and I've got some pretty interesting notes for cast members. Okay. All right, so we'll start with our, our star, Angela, of this film. Felissa Rose, she was 13 years old, I think, when she got this part. Felissa Rose, 13. All right. Shoot. So, Go. Okay, so she was known for doing like stage productions and stuff. Her mom was a stage mother. Mm-hmm. She was known for taking her to all these different plays and auditions. She got this part. She said she got three jobs offered to her during that time period. One was like an off-Broadway play. One was like, I think, some kind of little TV spot, maybe a commercial. And then she got offered this horror film. Her mom read the script and didn't want her doing certain scenes. So there are certain scenes that are shot that she's not in. And I'll mention those because they use somebody else in the cast for those scenes. Okay. Okay. So for people who know who Felissa Rose is, she's done a lot of work in this franchise. Or she auditioned for the second and third film, but they wound up using Bruce Springsteen's little sister, Pamela Springsteen, for the sequels, part two and part three. The boss's sister. Right. But they used the character, Angela's. Or her character continued throughout the franchise, which is weird. But anyhow, I never watched any of the sequels. Cool. Okay. Yeah, me either. Okay. So I'm just going just a few films because she's got a laundry list. She's heavily involved in horror films. Most direct to like video. I was going to say mostly yeah. B. Satan's Playground. Mostly B horror. Yes. <laughs> Satan's Playground, Under Surveillance. Cycle Sleepover, Silent Night, Zombie Night, Swamp Freaked, and Victor Crowley. She's actually going to be in that for oh, okay. people who are familiar with that character. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Hatchet. Uh... Jonathan Tiersten plays her cousin in the film, Ricky. He didn't really do a lot of films outside of that. He said after this film. I like he, Ricky. He did a really good job. Been... He did most like TV ads and soap operas and stuff like that. But after he got contacted to do the reunion, most of them did through a a webmaster who hosted a fan site and they got contacted by Fangoria magazine. Somehow they got together a couple of the actors that agreed to do a reunion and the webmaster was like, Hey, how about I get some more actors and actresses and we'll do a big one. And so after that reunion, this was like 2001, mm-hmm. they did like the making of sleepaway camp. And so a lot of these actors and actresses worked on some low budget horror films together. Like a lot of them are in the same films. Later on in the 2000s, yeah, which is really cool. But anyhow, uh, after, like I said, after his little stint in this film, he did The Perfect House, The House of Wet Blood, a film called Sugar, and Terror Tales, which a lot of these actors are in. Karen Fields played Judy. She was one of the bullies, maybe the main bully women or girls in this film. So, first off, (laughs) before you go into anything else that she's been in, Judy, when she was in this, do you happen to have her birth date? Because I'm pretty sure Judy, who I believe was supposed to be playing a 13 to 14 year old, looked about 28 years old. Believe it or not, this is something that's unique to this film for its time period too. Our director, Robert Holtzig, he wanted this film to have kids that were aged the way they're supposed to be aged. There's a few exceptions. Most of them were teenagers. I think she, Judy, she was like 17, 18 maybe in the film. She looks... About 28. She could pass for that age, given the time period and given that fact for a lot of films in the 80s and 70s. Yeah, they were hiring a lot of 20-somethings to pretend like they were 14, 15, 16-year-olds. 
seemed to me throughout this cast she looked a lot lot of age disparities there was a lot of kids that looked like kids yeah and there was a lot of kids that that did not look like kids that did not look like kids they look like they should have been in college or had their career started by then yeah i mean they look like yeah they there was a lot that looked like young college kids yeah that's true very true of this film. I'm like, what's the age range of the kids at this camp? <laughs> I know. There is a little bit of disparity, especially with the counselors, when you think about it, with these kids, too. <laughs> I'll mention a few of these people here in a minute. Uh, good. Yes. <laughs> All right. So another character, like, I'm trying to name some of the main characters mm-hmm. in this film before I get into, like, the smaller bit players. Christopher Clay played Paul in the film, which is, the, like, the best friend of Ricky, and he and Angela wind up having, like, a little... Okay. So he's one of the ones that looks like kid. Yeah. Okay. All right. He worked on a couple of 80s films. He worked with the Corys on a film called Prayer of the Roller Boys. So think about that. Think of (laughs) that film. Uh, But he's done a lot of work, voice acting work, which we've... Not going to lie. That sounds amazing. Prayer of the Roller Boys. I'm sure I've seen that shit probably in the early 90s. I'm Mm -hmm. almost fucking certain of it. Chris Collet, he did a lot of voice acting, and most notably, he's worked on Yu-Gi-Oh! Duel Monsters as Umbra and Johnny Steps. He's voiced characters for Pokemon. Like, he's done a lot of voice acting for some pretty big franchises in terms of, you know, cartoons. Mike Callan is the camp director in this film. He plays Mel, the really old guy with the cigars. Bullshit. Bullshit, his name's Mel. <laughs> yeah, really? Right? So, yeah. this guy, throughout my entire notes, I have as Scumbag Mel Brooks. Because that's exactly how he looks. That's fucking funny. He looks like scummy fucking apartment landlord Mel Brooks. This guy, believe it or not, this is the last film he was in. He died a few months before he came out to theaters. He was known for doing a lot of stage work. And I think he worked with like Dean Martin and, you know, some really big actors and, you know, stage actors in the 50s and 60s. He was known for doing work on Midnight Express, which is a big film. Big reference back to uh, Cable Guy. There's a scene with Jim Carrey's character and uh, Matthew Broderick where he's like, Oh, Billy. He does that. That's a reference back to this movie, Midnight Express. But he played Mr. Hayes. So for people who are familiar with the film, it was Mr. Hayes in Midnight Express. He was in the film At War with the Army, The Boston Strangler, and The Wacky Ship in the Army, which some of these films were stage productions before they were films. But yeah, this is his last film. So, we brought up Heavyweights earlier. Yeah, I did. Do you think Jerry Stiller's character's outfit is based (laughs) off of this guy's? It would not surprise me in the least, given the time period that Heavyweights came out, because it wasn't too far removed from this film, right? Like maybe 12 years at best. So that's not very long compared to now. You know, there's like 30-something odd years difference now. But yeah, I would not be surprised. I know for a fact that we had mentioned before doing the podcast that I was listening to, How Did This Get Made? And Paul Shearer confirmed with Ken Marino, and you had mentioned Wet Hot American Summer. Right. right. And Ken Marino's character in that film and the show is based off a couple of characters in this film. Most notably oh, Shorts Man, which I'll talk about. So yeah, this film inspired a lot of spoofs or parodies of different characters on later films. As soon as Heavyweights was mentioned and then you brought this guy up, I was like, oh my god, it's it's fucking Jerry Stiller in Heavyweights. Like I say, it wouldn't surprise me in the, the least if that was an inspiration for his character in that, that film. Okay, uh, continuing on. Okay, I've got a few more major, I guess, characters in the film. Catherine Kami, she played Meg. 
M-E-G, for those of you who don't know me. Meg was an interesting character. She was a cutie pie. I'll say that much. I did want to throw that out there. She's a cutie pie, but she was a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> she was the muscle for Judy in this film. She was another bully. Yeah. That's the I'm weird sorry. part, though. I mean, this might be getting into a little bit of spoilery territory. Yeah, but that's but what we do. She kind of acts as the muscle for Judy, but she's not. She's she's one of the counselors, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. Judy's just like... I don't know. Maybe she just reinforces that behavior for Judy. Well, that's the thing. It's like they're friends, but Judy's a couple, a few years younger. They just happen to be friends, and Judy's one of the campers. Yeah. It is. It's fucking weird. They have some weird scenes <laughs> later on. She was known for working on some daytime soap operas during that time period. Oh, okay. Yeah, so anyhow, from what I understand... I can see her doing soap operas. Yeah, from what I understood is that like when she was expected to go on to set, when everybody got cast and people were showing up for for the this camp, yeah, yeah. she got stretched out in a black limo because NBC put her up in that. Oh, shit. And Felissa Rose, who plays Angela, she's like, yeah, I was... She knew who she was because she does stage and mm-hmm. she's like, oh, I was so excited when she came out because <laughs> she was in the black limousine and I wanted to be her. But yeah, it was really cool like listening to some of that shit. But yeah, she plays Meg in this film. She's gone on to do, uh, I think the show Dragnet. She played Detective Hubble. She was on the show Bones. A couple other films, Silent Madness, The Occupants. Cool. Paul D'Angelo was the guy I was talking about plays Ronnie. Mr. Shorts, man. So every scene you see him, he's got these fucking bodybuilder. I was about to say, there's like, on. what, two, three, three of the dude counselors that are kind of muscle heads. All fucking just jacked. Oh, yeah. Super jacked. Yeah, he's one of them. There's a nut. Yeah, there's three of them for sure. Yeah. One of them's way more in the background than the other two usually yeah. are. But there is at least one other one that's pretty fucking jacked, too. Yeah, you're right. There are three of them. He's definitely one of them. And at least one of them, not him. I think the other one that's super jacked that gets a little bit of more foreground time kind of looks like he might have been hired off of a gay porn shoot. <laughs> yeah, that would not surprise me. <laughs> So Ronnie, in this film, Paul D'Angelo, he went on to do Return to Sleepaway Camp, which I mentioned most of all of these actors and actresses did. He also worked on Silent Madness, The Real Thing, and Destination Fame. So if you need a reference and you're watching this film, just think, all right, muscle dummy with the shorts. He does good, though. I mean, Oh, yeah. No, he does a really good job, I think. He's uh, very he's, empathetic. He's weirdly oblivious to everything going on around him. He's weirdly oblivious to the fact that he doesn't be wearing those shorts. <laughs> those are some shorts, Jesus. Sir. Yeah, put your balls up. All right, so here's some fact drops I want to drop with some of these actors. Because they're not very big in this film, but they do need to be mentioned. Okay. For some really cool reasons. All right. The first one I'll mention, because it's probably the most obvious, is the character Martha. Maybe Aunt Martha or Mommy Martha. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, All right. This is played by Desiree Gold, and she worked on Tales of Poe and Under Surveillance, which I mentioned with Felissa Rose. But her character is super unhinged in this film. And uh... she – I don't know if she's overacting well, let's get into uh, that in a little bit here. Yeah, so I just want to give you a little reference, like yeah. if you're familiar with this. All right, so she plays Martha as Desiree Gould. I did want to mention her because she plays an important character in this film. She doesn't get much time, but she plays an important character. The second person I want to mention is James Paradise. He played Lenny, and you're like, who's that? All right. <laughs> this was the guy who played the gay lover. Right. Which I'll give you more reference once we get into the next section. 
the reason I brought him up, and the only reason why I brought him up, is because he was the dad of a very popular character in the 90s. In the film, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, 1992, he played Buffy's dad in that film. I really dig that movie. <laughs> All right, so you might have seen him in that, and you might have seen him in the film. The Pink Congo. Power Rangers in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Congo, I was actually just thinking about last night and how we should probably cover it on the show at some point. I'm totally down, And it's dude. another movie that... I think it's been a long time since I've watched it. Right. And looking back at it, I'm pretty sure it's another one that's going to fall into this category of so bad it's good. Although I be, I, I mean, I'm going to say, spoiler, <laughs> I was super excited. Like, I saw it in theaters because I read Michael Crichton books. So I was that's super really excited cool. to go watch it. That would be fun. I think um, that would be fun. And I remember fun. really enjoying it. That would be a fun one to go back That'll to. That'll give us a name to look for in that film if that's the case. The next person I'll mention is Michael C. Mahan. He plays the character Hal. I'm like, who the fuck is Hal? I see. I thought you were going to say John Cena, and I didn't see him. (laughs) So he plays Hal, and I'm like, who the hell is Hal? And the only reason why I looked him up, too, because of some of his credits. He plays one of the counselors who finds a body. That's all I'll say. Okay. Involving a boat. That's all I'll say. Oh, okay. okay. That's all I'll say about that guy. But he was in the original Wall Street that came, you know, there was like another oh, Wall yeah. Street version, but the one with, uh, was it Michael Douglas yeah. and Charlie Sheen? He's in that. Fantastic movie. He was in the film Malcolm X and more another recently fantastic movie. in the film Gangster Squad. Uh, I really liked that movie. What the fuck is he doing in this movie? Well, exactly. I'm like, damn, some of these people popped up. I needed to make mention of them and I'm glad I looked up some of them. I really like Gangster Squad. It's really close to a novel. Almost the same storyline, but just little minor changes that I think could have made it even better if they would have just followed this other novel instead. And I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it would have been fucking dope. Maybe one day somebody will jump on it. Anyway. No, that's cool, man. All right, I'm going to mention a name, and I want you to give me the first thing that comes to mind. When I mention the name James Earl Jones, what do you think of? Doctor Strange Love. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I think of his voice. Right? right, Mufasa. Yeah. Did you know that his father is in this film? I actually did know that his father was in this just because I have also listened to the How Did This Get Made and they yeah. mention it. <laughs> so his father is Robert Earl Jones, who plays the character Ben, which is funny. Whoa. It's funny and it's not funny. It's not funny at all. <laughs> um, we're going to have to fucking talk about that scene a little bit more in depth here in a minute, too. What the... Anyway, yep, okay, yeah. Okay. It's his father. It's definitely his father. Mr. Jones is known for his work in the film The Sting, Trading Places with Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd, and Maniac Cop 2. Those are the three films I wrote down for him. All right, uh, this guy plays Mike. He's one of the bad campers, one of the older kids. Right, okay, yeah, yeah, Mike. All right, he plays Mike. Uh, This guy is Thomas Vondell, and the reason I want to mention him, he... It's I'm sorry, his... Tom, but with a name like that, you were destined to play a douche in a movie. Thomas Vondell, really? Yeah. All right, check this out, though. After his stint doing this film, he went on to become vice president of International for Universal Motown Records Group, which is a division of Universal Music Group. So what he did was he introduced all these acts, mostly American, some alternative European acts, to the Asian market, the Pacific Rim. And when yeah, you start looking Seth at Grimm, so he took a fucking giant robot and he like he forced them and punched him. Yeah. When I start looking at some of these names, like he worked with Ninety Eight Degrees, Brian McKnight, Boyz II Men, Eric Badu, Godsmack, Three Doors Down, 
I think he introduced Radiohead and Beck to like the Asian markets that they had never listened to like alternative music. That was not their market. You got me. But then you look at some others, James Taylor, Michael Bolton, Suede, UB40, Tom Jones. Like, I love me some James Taylor. All these international artists were introduced to Asia, like said, most notably the Pacific Rim, because of Vondell. He rocket fisted him. I know I'm not mentioning a lot of other acts, but look it up. I'm getting this from the movie database. So he's worked in music since his post-career in acting which is really cool. One other person who also went on to do something else outside of acting is the guy who played Billy in this film. Billy has an unfortunate incident in the bathroom. We'll get to it. okay, yeah, Billy. Okay, so after this, he went on to do some, like, R&B and jazz recordings. The shit, okay. Okay, and, you know, he also did some Broadway work. But much later, he had made him his name in the high fashion world, and he's won awards for working with European companies Versace, Chanel, Claude Montana, and he also helped with like costume designs for the films The Devil Wears Prada and The Daughter of God. So he somehow went from this to being a buzzworthy name. In fashion, high fashion at that. Yeah, so two guys who, <laughs> in this film, are bullies became like international superstars in different fields Fuck. okay yeah who would have fucking thought that from this film so i did want to mention these guys all right i guess one other name i want to mention because he does play a bit part is one of the kitchen staff Artie. yes Artie was played by owen hughes and like i said he didn't have a major part but he had an interesting part in this film for some of his lines that he says and some of the things that he does I think interesting might be underselling it a little bit, but we'll get to that. Yeah. Okay. Artie, continue. Owen th- Hughes. Okay. <laughs> and I guess maybe just a few others because they do have some scenes. Susie, which is one of the other girl counselors, uh, is played by Susan Glaze. And John Dunn played the character Kenny. And Kenny was like one of the bullies, long hair guy. Goes out on a boat trip. Oh, right. Kenny. Yeah. All right, so anyhow, that's that's basically all you need to know about this film as far as your characters. There's some other kids and stuff that pop up, but outside of that, I mean, that's pretty much what I got for technical notes. Yeah, I guess that just leaves us with a warning. Yeah, um, we should warn people of this film. Gosh. There's a lot of cussing. Loads of cussing. Lots of short shorts on dudes. Who wears short shorts? Not the girls in this film. Mostly the dudes. Mostly dudes, which is... Uh, a different fashion uh, statement. A load of bare boy asses at one point. There is. There are some butt cheeks. No boobs. No boobs. I want to say, at the very end, there's a full frontal shot. I can't say much more than that, but I do want to say that you get full frontal nudity at the end. You do get assault to the eyes. And there's not much actual violence. It's mostly you see the after effects. And there's some pretty gnarly shots some really good like gore and like pus effects at one point i'm just saying the special effects team did a really good job on this um, they really did but there's not much actual violence being shown no i mean this film kind of centers around bullying i mean that's a major aspect of this film so there's going to be more like verbal assaults than anything and even those aren't even that bad nah it's nothing that we are not unfamiliar with yeah Oh, we say them all the time. It's in the vein of, like, high school comedy fucking bullying. It really is. Like I said, it's more just verbal jousting more than anything. I mean, some scenes get a little bit more fucked up, but... (laughs) Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, let's just get into this movie, I think, because holy shit. Yeah, you ready to squeal? I'm ready to... Let's squeal, man. Yes. Yes. I'm ready to squeal. (laughs) 
How does that make you squeal? Sleep away, motherfucking camp. Jesus Christ. I know, right? So, we're in the... How does it make you squeal? So, like I said, I'd never actually seen this all the way through. There's a couple things I kept in mind, like the fact that the end was coming, and I wanted to see how well it was actually telegraphed. A little bit better than I actually expected from the rumors I'd heard about this yeah, movie. Yeah, you know, given... This movie comes with a bit of a reputation. Oh, it certainly does. Both for the bonkers ending and the fact that it's kind of bonkers all the way through. And a little bit hard to follow at times, though I didn't find it too bad. It's not the most diluted. Now, it's not hard to follow, but of my three pages of notes, two pages of them are still questions. Just not necessarily things that might be answered by the plot at all. Just, this movie's fucking insane. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this film. Some interesting social context, too, which we'll bring up. So I tried to write things down. As much as it doesn't seem like it sometimes, I'm sure, when you people listen to us, there are times when we go into these episodes with a little bit more of a plan than others, with we want to sell this to you, so we don't want to say too much about it, or this or that. Now, I'm going to reiterate again, go fucking watch this movie, because it is fantastic. But there's a problem with that. And one of the first things I wanted to tell you is that, man, we should hold off on what we say about this movie because I kind of just would rather encourage people to go watch it. But, like, just to get through my notes, I feel like we're going to end up talking about most of the movie. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost you can't help it. This film is not very long. It only clocks in at about what, 84, 85 minutes, something like that. So it's not a very long film. So keep that in mind. The plot's pretty easy to follow because it's pretty linear, you know? I mean, there are some flashback sequences, but... It's not that hard to follow. No. We meant to mention a couple other episodes, but we'd forget because we get really stoned. This is available for viewing on Shudder, which we've viewed a few other things on. However, this is also available for viewing on YouTube, which I kept yeah. it classy and watched it on YouTube. Sometimes you have to keep it classy, Freddie Blassie. Um, <laughs> so if you guys want to be able to go watch this movie easily, YouTube. Yeah, just know that YouTube... However, we want to plug Shudder a little bit because we're pretty yeah. impressed with the shit that they've had on there for us so far. That's Dude, uh, got definitely a where killer uh, catalog. That was the easiest way for me to watch fucking Henry. And there's a couple other things I wouldn't be watching coming up. So I think it has the host and some other mm -hmm. films too. So oh yeah, that's how I watched the host as well. Yeah, so I guess maybe to give you a little, I don't know, you want to delve into it just a little bit, Alexa. We don't have to go all the way through. Well, I didn't really make notes of what was actually happening mm -hmm. in many of the scenes. I just sort of made notes of what was happening to me as I watched oh, okay. this fucking movie. And like I said, a lot of it was kind of just questions. And so starting with the opening fucking credits. I mean, you have the orchestral music, as you right, mentioned, right. already set up and shit. But you have weird voices being mixed in and out. You do. What's going on during that whole opening sequence is you get this pan shot of a camp. That appears to be closed down, but you get these voices that are mixed in, maybe from previous campers, you know, intermixed with some of those scenes of the camp itself. Are we supposed to actually be remembering any of this shit? Never forget. None of it seemed to be brought to the forefront enough to, for me to actually figure out what was being said. I'm like, are we supposed to be remembering this? Is that's why some of it is being brought louder? Yeah. And if we are supposed to be remembering this, why aren't they bringing it even louder? Because it's still really back in the mix, and I can't fucking tell what they're saying. Yeah, it's just like a lot of dissonance. You know what I mean? It's just you I hear mean, voices, I could, but I could it's... tell some things here and there. But, but like yeah. it wasn't. But they were like fading it in and out. Like this is important. 
But it wasn't fucking important. Let's pull back. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe it was important. I couldn't fucking tell because I couldn't hear enough of it. That would be interesting, like, if you can get that whole... If you can just isolate those vocals <laughs> from that score. be interesting to see what's said. Okay, the movie opens up know, a few years before when the rest of the movie takes yeah. place. So eight years prior to 1983. Okay. So the film takes place in 75 to open up with a father and his two young children on a little sailboat in the middle of a lake. And you also have three campers, one being like a lifeguard counselor, one random teen chick, and a jet skier, or a water skier, another female, younger. They're all in their teens, just riding out. But the kids wind up sneaking up behind their dad, tipping him over. I guess the boat flips over, too? Yeah. Well, he got up, and he was looking out at shit, and the daughter gets up and looks, and the son comes up, and he kind of pushes behind but it kind of looks like he's just trying to look too it's kind of hard to tell but he's like oh you scamps and you know they it all Call skips schemers you little schemers <laughs> yeah what eventually happens is the guy who's driving the boat initially lets the girl drive it she goes straight towards the family and the dad i think he's being warned or maybe even being like hey the dock is coming or on our way but it's kind of random that that dude's there, too, right? Okay, we don't know really so, what he's there for. I mean, we do and we don't. Right. I mean, part of it definitely gets answered. Oh, yeah, it definitely does. But, but at um, the beginning. So with this scene, I mean, the the girl's now driving, not the lifeguard. Right. First off, when the boat flips over, I'm thinking to myself, well, this movie's kind of a slasher movie, and it has this really, really fucking weird metal rudder on it. And I'm like, that's the perfect setup for a fucking cheesy kill. Mm -hmm. rudder has nothing to do with it she ends no. up just running into him with the boat yeah what i thought was kind of fucked up too was like as she was nearing you know the family is i think the guy like reaches and i think he like hits the throttle and makes it go even faster into them so the next thing is like she was going right at them and that the problem was that she was headed right at the boat and she couldn't turn she didn't turn she didn't have time but she had to turn but the bigger problem was that she was very noticeably, even if the guy was looking away with where they were and how close they were, she was very noticeably, even if the boat wasn't there, heading directly at the shore. Yeah, I mean, come on. It's not <laughs> rocket sense the boat. Here. Yeah, like... Even if he's looking directly away from her off to the side, it's very obvious that she's headed directly at the shore. Yeah. At which point he's like, no, you need to give this back to me. She's trying to yell at him, too. It's kind of cliche now. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they hear, what? What is she saying? She's freaking out. I did hear this several times, but it has to be said probably once more, just for posterity, is that actress, she sells her part, the water skier. She yells out to turn. You need to turn the boat. And even when they do hit the family, she, like, her reactions, she's like, you know, we need help. She's yelling. So she's selling her part, and the other two kids are kind of like, did that just happen? You know, they kind of have this blank stare on their face. This needs to be said, though, in this opening scene, too, because what we get as an so, audience wait, is... Wait, here's the other thing that they completely sold in that first okay, scene. Okay, okay, okay. When the boat hits, the first thing they do is cut to the guy on the beach. John! Yeah, John! And just everything about it sold me to the point where I immediately wrote down, wait, are they setting these guys up as gay lovers? John. By the way, There's a lot spoilers. Of yes. Oh yeah. They're gay lovers. They totes are. They totes are. Mom isn't in the picture. 
because dad has a dude. Yeah. Dude looks like They that. never do mention what happened to mom, but... No, that's not really mentioned. That's not even brought up, which we can talk about after. The thing, too, is, like, the dad gets definitely killed. The dad's obvious he gets killed, and one of the kids stays behind. All we know is one of the kids stays behind, the other life vest pops so, up. So, do we give away the ending? Not We're yet. We're in the spoiler section. Not yet. Because it's going to be hard to talk about some parts of this I movie. Mean, we'll, I mean, we'll, yeah, I mean, that's the we biggest one. We can skirt one. around it as, as much as we, we can. I, I mean, I think we can scoot around it, but let's I, try I'd to like scoot to... around it. Let's try to scoot around it. You talking about the reveal? Yeah. Yeah, we can definitely scoot around that. That's okay. not a problem. That's not a problem. So what? The next sequence, though, is like after that boating incident, so we get eight years later, and you get this ridiculous lady like yelling, Angela! Ricky. Oh my god. She's over the top. Kids so, come down, and this is where we get introduced to the This ends up kids. becoming pretty clear within the next few scenes as yeah. well. But it was very unclear to me at first who she was supposed to be. Oh, you talking about the lady? Yeah. Yeah. At first, I didn't understand that it was Ricky and Angela. Mm-hmm. I thought it was Angela and brother. That would make sense, given, you know, it could make sense. So when Ricky referred to her as mom, I'm like, oh, so mom was crazy. So that's why dad has full custody, even though he's in a gay relationship in the 80s. She's so crazy that that's why he had custody. (laughs) Yeah. Because she's a fucking dingbat. Yeah. She's a loon from the get-go. Yeah, because it's not really... You don't know who she is in terms of relation to the kids quite yet. And you don't know Until the kids' relations to each other either. Ricky and Angela and they right. were cousins in the next scene. That's when I realized that that was the aunt that they mentioned in the first scene. Yeah, the doc. She even mentions the fact, like, she's a weirdo. Like, she's a loon. She winds up giving the kids a bag lunch. But there and- were a couple minutes where I took notes where she was... The mother, and when the dad died, the kids went to the mom, and that makes sense. Which I'll, I've got my theories about that too. But the whole point of that scene is she's getting them ready for the camp because they got their camp shirts on and their Daisy Duke shorts on, <laughs> and she's mentioning the fact that they don't want to be late for camp, and she's got to give them their uh, physicals because you know. <laughs> you can't go to camp without your physicals. I have so Even many. though I'm a doctor. Dude, in the first fucking 15 minutes of this again. movie, I have an entire fucking page of notes. I do want to mention this because I, you know, it's it's going to come off as probably I don't know, several labels you can label this. But I'll come out and say it anyway. When I first seen this film, not this go around between you and I, but when I first saw it like in the early to mid 2000s, I thought that this lady was actually a dude. That's <laughs> like, is this, you know, a transgender? Or could it be a, you know, just a guy playing a woman scene? But it's not. That's not any assault or any defamation to the actress. Well, and here's the other thing. We keep saying that she's acting crazy, and her performance. There was something she did that reminded me so much of another just iconic character, and the like probation worker in A Clockwork Orange, the kind oh, of molesty gosh. one. Yeah. Mm, what has Alex been doing today? Mm. Yeah, it was it, it was interesting. She's kind of doing the same thing, except not as molesty. Well, yeah. not molesty until I had her write down. She has a line. I didn't write what she wrote down, but I wrote down my fucking response. They wouldn't approve of how they got the physical. Yeah, that's weird. Like, she's like, don't mention this. And then she also, right after that, she's a doctor? 
Precisely, man. Like, what the fuck is going on with this lady? She's weird, man. She's unhinged. That's apparent. We don't know why. And she gives this overperformance of her character. It's like, who gives whoa. her any sort of degree? I do want to mention this really quick. In, in her defense, is the director, you know, he had these parts written out and all that stuff. And anyhow, she was unsure of, like, playing this character. And she was like, this, the dialogue, she's like, this is weird. Like, you know, it's like, I don't know if I want to be saying this stuff. And this is what he said. He's like, look, you're going to be this fucking character. He's like, even I have to mime the, the, the fucking lines to you. And so she's like, she was sold on it then. And then that's maybe why she overacted a little bit. Okay, so next they're getting to camp, and that's when they mention that they're cousins and shit. But there's the next big what the holy fuck moment of this movie that I immediately had to like fucking pause and write. Yeah, down. write this down because I want to. I can answer these. Things. I, I didn't write Fill in the gaps. I, I didn't write the lines themselves. That's okay. Once again, I wrote more of my responses. But the kids are all running in, running down the hill to the uh, camp, and you see the help, the kitchen help, right? Who's the only minorities in the entire movie, I believe. There's one white and guy. And one white guy leading them and, all. Yeah, there's James Earl Jones' dad as Ben, which is weird. Uh, a couple guys look kind of Mexican. Yeah. And Artie <laughs> is kind of licking his chops. Wow. It's awesome. I, I know what he says, but I want, I want to hear what you have to say what, about what this. Was so your it, question. Uh, what was the line? Something like, where I come from, they call them baldies? So what, yeah, as that as that scene's happening, right? The, like the kids are coming your, off the buses. What's, what's he, something like, it makes your mouth water? Something like that? Yeah, those kids... I, wrote, I had to write down what the fuck casual acceptance of pedophilia because Robert Earl Jones just like oh they ain't even old enough to know what's on your mind yeah it's fucking weird dude and they're all just like laughing about it's like, it look at all those young chickens where I come from we call them baldies just makes your mouth water like god damn pedo. there's no such thing as too young yeah just too old and Robert Earl Jones just laughs and like walks off frame. But you're right. I like how you how you said is like at what degree is pedophilia acceptable amongst the social? It's like who even brings that up? Like they're talking about getting ready to fuck some kids. Like, uh, what? I, I'm I'm all about. You guys already know I'm all about fucking these kids. So I'm just going to tell you about it right now. Yeah, these kids ain't too young. You just too old. Nah. <laughs> what and, the fuck? and it's funny because he just laughs at him like, yeah, I am too old. But you know what? If I was ten years younger, all these kids would be sucking my dick. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's exactly probably what's going on. There's also you also get to see um, Ronnie and Mel for the first time because well, they're wrote, yelling at I the wrote kids. Counselor Jack Diesel, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fucking counselor. Two short shorts. <laughs> skies out, thighs out. Gosh, man, yeah, no, no exactly. Skies out, thighs out. <laughs> Damn, man. Yeah, no shame. He probably wiped our eyes if we said that. But uh, yeah, I mean, but you're right. After that, we get we get to the introduction of Paul, the character played by uh, Chris Calais. He and Ricky apparently been like friends for like three years, and they're telling stories. And they even mention, "Hey, Judy, this year's got some big, you know." <laughs> they're talking about her boobs the whole time. Angela, she's like super quiet; like she doesn't say anything. We're so, kind of unsure of her character at this point. Well, no, that's the thing. Her character at this point. And for the first 30 minutes of the movie is she stares and doesn't say anything. And I have to make a note about that, that that's her entire character, because it very weirdly changes later, and I made a very pointed note about it. 
But that's all she does is she stares. Yeah. And doesn't say shit. Doesn't say shit. No response. No physical response. Just a, that stare, that death stare, man. You're right. It's like fucking uh, Tommy, like the rock opera. Yeah. I, I bet if you put her in front of a fucking, fucking pinball machine, she'd do great. But as it is, no pinball machines at this summer camp. So we get an introduction mostly in these several scenes of your campers, both good and bad, I suppose. We get the introduction of Judy and Meg and Susie, and then we also get to meet Paul and some of the other guys. But it winds up, I think, a big scene kind of starts off in the kitchen. They're all in the canteen, I guess, the cafeteria area, all these kids. And Judy kind of confronts, and maybe even Meg, about the fact that she's not eating. And eventually Ronnie comes over to her defense and is like, you know, hey, let's go in the kitchen and see if we can find you something to eat. And he introduces her to Artie. <laughs> and so this is where I first oh, thought that he was oblivious hey. because everyone else seems to be in on the f- everyone except for Ronnie and Mel seem to just know that Artie's fucks kids. It's but they up. seem to honestly have no idea because he's just like, oh no, here the cooks will take care of you, whatever. <laughs> and Artie immediately is just like, oh, let's go back to the pantry. Who knows well, or whatever the fuck. Here's he something I think you'll, you'll find funny. They said they had to take a a couple of shots for that scene like where he's in her face and like you know let's go to the cooler to see what he can conjure up for her and she was like you know she's trying to play this character where she's quiet and he's like almost directly in her face she's like there's several times where she like couldn't keep it together they were laughing mm-hmm. and they were saying like owen hughes off a of film not in his character like they said he was like a really intelligent guy he was mostly spent his time reading a lot and they said he was just like a really sweet guy, but when he was in character, like he fucking nailed it. Oh yeah, he nailed it. He was so he's totally believable. But that's you know there is a distinguishing. But it's uh, immediately trait like as him, soon as Ronnie turns around, he's immediately like, "Well, time for me to start fucking some kids." Oh my gosh, yeah. I was like, anytime I get a chance, I want to get the dick. <laughs> Day one looks like somebody's getting it. Day one, time to have fun <laughs> in oh, the cooler. Jesus, yeah. Well. Before Ronnie goes, though, and like I said, I went in this movie knowing the twist, but I tried to go into it as blank as possible, just trying to see what I could pick up on. And I do want to say that part of this, I think, gave it away from the get-go. Because before Ronnie leaves, he tells Artie to find her, like, some ice cream or something that kids like. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a happy food. That's Mm -hmm. like a hush-up food, if you know what I'm getting at. But I think that ties back, though, here in a minute, because he's about to get to the raping in the cooler, or wherever they're at. Yeah, so Ricky confronts Meg, because Meg, I guess, is the one who's, like, you know, poking at Angela for not eating anyway. He's like, she's just quiet. So he goes and finds out that she went in the kitchen. He walks in the cooler, and he finds fucking Artie, like, putting his belt back together. And he's like, what's going on? And anyhow, Well, he's only putting it back together because he heard... Ricky yeah, coming he heard in. Ricky coming in because he was trying to get his his hog out. Yeah, yeah. There's like fucking. There's some fucking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hope you like salami. Oh yeah. I know it's dirty. Tube but... steak. <laughs> Extra gravy. The funny thing though is you get a repeated slamming up against like some of the shelving mm-hmm. uh, Artie does to Ricky. Like that shit was legit. Like there was no padding. There were no you know safety precautions. He was. There were several takes, and he said that like the director would always snicker and shit when he had to do it. He's like, "All right, cut, and action," <laughs> you know. Anyhow, that gets the kids out of that situation, right? Here's something I want to know about the kitchen sequence. 
is you get to see the largest fucking boiling pot in the world in that kitchen. Did you see how large that pot was that he was well, and that comes boiling back water in? Holy in fuck. Just a few minutes. Because <laughs> what the fuck? Not dude? too long after this, Artie gets his comeuppance, and you get the first one of the killer kills. Yeah, that whole sequence too is kind of fucking. And weird. that's actually where my next notes start. And Artie gets snuck up on from behind and sort of pushed, and he's kind of over the pot. Yeah, but also like weirdly on a step ladder. So he, now that he's pushed, he you know he can't he, quite help himself. Yeah, he's kind of unbalanced, maybe, but he's he's no more than just, what, a foot and a half, two yeah. feet off the ground, if that. But it's the boiling pot that's the problem. Yeah, because he's, he's killer, right over it. He's hovering over it. And then the killer gradually pulls the stool out from under him so that he pulls the pot onto himself. Yeah. I, I have a hard time believing that guy couldn't push himself <laughs> off of that. But here's where I thought it gave it away, and we do want to jump around the spoiler. Yeah, we do. We're going to uh, skirt but, around it. But I'm, so I'm going to give a spoiler warning. So spoiler warning. I'm going to mention something related to the end here in three, two, one. He offers an ice cream sandwich. He does. That's a part of his plea to get out of that situation. That is a... I think that... If you're paying attention. Yeah, if you are paying attention, that should be a giveaway. But we still don't know because part of those scenes I was telling you about the kill scenes is person who's using the hands, you know, they're guy hands. Mm -hmm. And there's an actor in this film whose hands they are. I don't want to say quite yet who they are, but just keep in mind, those are boy hands. I suppose I could have said, like, you guys can tune back in after 10 seconds if you want to skip the spoiler, but we're back. So 10, anyway. 10 seconds back. Yeah, we're back. Anyway, he gets fucking horribly burned, and that oh, was pretty disgusting. It was pretty cool, too. I like really that. Good. Somebody brought up the fact, like, how long he was screaming during that sequence. So you get Robert Earl Jones comes back in, mm-hmm. and he sees it, and the guy's screaming, and when you do get to see the guy being arty they use like a a prop floor and they use these tubes to pump in like gelatin a mixture for the boils on his face and stuff dude it was disgusting yeah it was really good it was looked really good so that's what i'm saying the practical effects on it was really fucking good for what they did and then (laughs) he's all bandaged up and gets taken away by the ambulance and whatnot yeah he gets all bandaged up taken away owner scummy mel brooks is keeping it on the down low he is he does everything he's trying to write off as, as an accident that's one of my favorite. I immediately had to write it down because it was fucking amazing. He asked him, so what's the prognosis, doctor? Was, well, he's pretty badly burned all over. <laughs> yeah, no shit, really? <laughs> Thanks, doc. Especially on his face. Yeah, and then he's like, what What, what about his eyes? He's like, uh, it's too early to tell. <laughs> he's like, this dude's fucked, bro. But it's just amazing. He's like, well, what's the prognosis? And he just, like, very matter-of-factly, well, very badly burned all over. Yeah, like, no fucking it's shit. It's probably going to take a while to heal. <laughs> but here's something cool, though, about a lot of these scenes with the ambulance and cops and whatnot. All of those are actually local. Those are real paramedics, and those are real ambulances, and those are real cop cars. They did use an actor for a cop, but most of those were actually real people. Gunbag Mel Brooks buys off the silence of the minorities. He does. He Let's Ben become the head of the kitchen, and the rest he pays off, gives him a higher salary, as long as they're keeping quiet about what happens. And they're cool with it. Then you get some high jinks in the, uh, the Baseball dorm. game? Oh, the, is it the baseball game directly after that? Yeah. I didn't tell. Yep. Oh. No, hold on. No, 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 no. Uh, no, no. I'm, I'm getting a low head. You're right. There's a mind over matter. Right. There's the mind over matter, and that's where my fucking, I was like, did heavyweights steal this? 
Yeah. This, it's the fucking see more butts. Yeah, exactly. Nobody's man. seen more butts than you. <laughs> yep. So, you're right. There's a lot of did homages. Did weights fucking steal that? Of course they did. Yes. Um, <laughs> that is the simple answer. Yes, they did. There's also another film, which we'll mention much later, that definitely stole a major idea from this film. Anywho, yes, that is a sequence, The Mind Over Matter, where High Ricky... Tension? No. Oh, well, maybe, but I don't know. Maybe. I didn't think about that one. The whole sequence is Ricky is doing uh, The Mind Over Matter, and he's uh, telling... No, no, no let's his... not tell him. Let's let's preserve the joke. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Let's Just know that there's a kid named Mozart in that scene. Jinks. Yeah, 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 okay. There's just a hijinks, mind over matter, if you're familiar. Okay. Then, though, I think we get the baseball game, right? Yeah, so immediately we go to a baseball game. And it's essentially the younger campers, like Ricky and his friend Paul. Versus the college kids is what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, like the older, much older guys. Being no Mike problem, that guy Billy. blows dead dogs. <laughs> yeah. And so they make a wager, and something that's been noted is, is like, you know, it's, this is probably like a 70-something-odd-minute movie, and they needed 10 minutes more to make it the theatrical, so they put a baseball game in it. It's great, though. It, it feels uh, realistic. It. They say the reason they did this because it's a fucking camp. They're at a camp. They're doing camp things. This is a part of what camp life is about. And there's some great lines. Fucking, eat shit and die, Ricky. Eat, eat shit, shit and live, live, Bill. Yeah, I love that. It's like, who says that? Well, oh, fucking Ricky does. Well, and at this point, I also had to write down, because I hadn't looked down any of the, like technical specs and shit yet. Right. What year did you say this movie was? It came out in 83. I think most of it was filmed in 82, though. How many of the tropes that appear in this movie do you think it originated? Like, oh, were there many of these camp movies before this? There were... Because they there even, was one they have called like The, Burner, the Kid playing fucking... They have the trope of the kid fucking playing video games out in the outfield and still managing to make a play. And, like, Bad News Bears would have influenced some of the fucking Yeah, I definitely predated stuff, this film. But... I don't know, because even until the time I was a kid, the camp movie and camp genre was still around, either in horror or comedy. This is kind of a weird connection for me. I think the first camp movie, honestly, that I remember is like Ernest Goes to Camp. Mm -hmm. And that one came out in like the mid-80s. And it's funny because I mentioned one of the editors, Sharon Ross, worked on a lot of those Ernest movies. And she so happened to work on this fucking film, too. But... I wonder how much of her working on that film influenced that film, Ernest right. Goes to Camp, because it had come out after this film. So I, I'm going to have to watch Ernest Goes to Camp find out for myself. It's a lot cool. of these sort of camp yeah, movie tropes that tropes, pop up yeah. in this. I would imagine like a lot of films that involve camps after this film came out. I can imagine there's a lot of stuff those movies are paying homage to from this film. Yeah, okay, the baseball happens. game happens and shit. The next they is win. like a social gathering. So the big thing at the social is that some of the popular kids sort of halfway as a joke, but halfway just to see if they can get her to fucking respond, Yeah, go and try to like pick up Angela, basically. So you get Kenny and I think it's Mike who walk over and like, hey, Angela, we're going to go out and, you know, you want to go out and I guess go swimming with us. Go mm -hmm. swimming with us. You know, you got to imagine, this is in New York, so most of all these kids are cast straight out of New York. They're trying to either coax her out or just to see if they can get a response out of her. And eventually they start, like, sort of getting in her face and fucking bullying. Yeah, and he's like, fun of her and hey, shit. Angela, who's this? And he's, like, being robotic. Ricky comes in, and they get in a fucking scuffle. And the thing I noticed that was hilarious about the scuffle is he gets it. I can't. One of them was wearing a pink shirt, and the other one was wearing, like, fucking. It was Mike was wearing the pink shirt. That's Thomas yeah. Vandell. Right. So Mike Pacific was wearing rim. a pink shirt. 
Kenny Rick, was the other one. Kenny was the other one. Yeah. Ricky and Kenny directly start get into the fight. And then about oh, a do. second and a half later is when Mike jumps in. Mike jumps in immediately starting punching Kenny, if you watch what happens. <laughs> oh, for he, like, jumps on and, like, I mean, obviously throwing, like, fake punches into the pile. Right. But where he's throwing the punches, the only person <laughs> that they would be hitting would be Kenny. Yeah, he's like, fuck you, Kenny. You're going to get it. <laughs> the, that scene, and what I find hilarious about it, is if you watch the scene where Paul and Ricky are coming into the rec center... Ricky's got that huge fucking like ten gallon bit hat on. Yeah, it's like it's unbelievably big. But that's what happens. Like he goes over and confronts Kenny for picking on Angela. He's like, "Hey, yo, fuck you!" And he like smacks his hat off of him, and that's what starts that scuffle, mm-hmm. right? So all that stuff gets broken up. Oh, I know what happens. Ronnie breaks it up. I think he's either Ronnie or Gene breaks it up. One of the muscle there, guys. There's there's a number of people. Yeah, Ronnie, Gene, and there's an, some other yeah. cat. It's Those mostly counselors, but it looks like a couple kids just jump into and pull them off each yeah. other and shit. There's a number of them. But we find out that Ricky really does have a potty mouth on him, right? Mm-hmm. He's just like... Well, the, the cool thing, too, about this film is he was cast for that reason. They were looking for a kid who could just off the hip just spurt out some curses. You know, that was the whole point. And he oh, everything that. sounds really natural between these kids and the well. Yeah, he said even in his audition, like he knew what he Judy's had to say. Judy's a bit of an overactor, but yeah, <laughs> it's interesting and a lot of the shit. But he got that part because he could cuss like that. Anyhow, he's I guess he's going back. But Paul turns around and like starts talking to Angela, and I don't know. He tells her some weird stories about camp and some incidents that he and Ricky got into. Like you know, hey, I'm a miss friend. You can trust me. But then he's like, all right, good night. And as he's walking off, she's like, good night. So that's the first thing she says to anybody Mm -hmm. is good night. She says it to Paul. And I'm like, oh, that's really sweet. Like, she said, you know, he got her out of the shell. She said good night to him. That's cool. And it's made to be something special because she hasn't talked to anybody else. And, like, her whole character to this point has been not talking. And then we sort of go on a little bit. We get our second death coming up. So we can fast forward. After that scene, you get the scene of... The guys, the older camp guys who just lost the baseball game, who were just trying to get Angela out to swim. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get another group of girls to go skinny dipping with them, and they don't. And they're like, well, screw you, Dan. We're going to go by yourselves. I'm like, yeah, that's not – there's nothing homoerotic about that. So they go boil their sausages <laughs> in the lake. There's like, there's not like two or three dudes. There's like it's a like group of dudes. It's like throwing a bunch of hot dogs into boil. <laughs> yeah, more like – Throwing it in the ice cube water because yeah, they filmed this shit in the fall. We have to do mention that. Oof. A couple of the guys go get fucking stoned, and that's pretty funny because that was funny. They legitimately were acting. It's Kenny and Mike again. Yeah, they legitimately and were. And Mike kind of looked stoned. like he was super high because he was giggling yeah. and couldn't hold his shit together. He was being. I can't think of the guy's name right off the top of my head, but in Friday the, the oh, 13th, I was just thinking part that part four. four. Yeah, he was being that dude. <laughs> Kenny gets his chick, and they go out on a boat ride. Yeah, Leslie. So Leslie goes out. And this is where I said one of the producers, Missy, shows up here in a second. So he's going out, this being Kenny. He's out there with Leslie. And eventually he's telling her about, like, turtles and water snakes. So he does. He starts to rock the boat. He tips them over. They go in the water. She gets all pissed off. She swims off. He gets her he goes, the wrong way. Yeah, he does. He most definitely does. He goes underneath the boat that's been tipped over. And he's like, Leslie, she's already fucking swum off, dummy. She's and someone already, else she's pops up. She's already way gone. 
Right. Somebody else pops up and he's like, oh, it's you. What are you doing here? The boys would love to see you out here. This is funny because this happens twice in this film. This is the first time. As he's being dunked underneath the water, his hand just goes up and kind of waves. If you notice, (laughs) his his hand is like, all right, all right, you can fucking cut now. (laughs) All right. Also, easiest forced drowning ever. Ever. Considering what I'm about to mention in just a little bit. but I think babies put up more of a struggle if you drown them. So that happened to Kenny, right? He gets dunked. Leslie comes back on shore, and it's not the same Leslie. It's a different actress. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. The actress who got on shore is Michelle Tatosian, who is the wife of Robert Hiltzik, the producer of this film. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, she was the one who, who went on shore. And as they're walking off, you get the dudes again, and, you know, I guess they're trying to get back to camp before Ronnie or back to their bunks before Ronnie comes up and shows up. But they're, like, even poking fun at Kenny as he's already been drowned. And they're like, oh, he's he's lover boy. You know, he, I guess he takes him and leaves him or whatever. See your water snake? Yeah, you see your water snake? I love that fucking New York thing. It's so funny. But anyhow, those guys, there, there's a few of them that you can see, like, the shovel, some of the, I don't know, lawn chairs or whatever. And then in the very next morning, you get that guy that said his howl. And he's showed up on all these fucking weird films that I would oh, never mention. Yeah, he finds Kenny's Wall body. Street, Malcolm X. And yeah. it's fucking dope. Well, first off, it doesn't... He gets all like pissed off. Out, it looks like it's been out in the lake for longer than a night. A few hours, right? Yeah. However, like the snake crawling out of the nose it's and shit awesome. fucking sweet. Or mouth yeah. or whatever it was. Fucking dope. Here's what I thought that was cool about this scene, too. is I was talking about Ed French, the makeup guy for this. Mm-hmm. He said that for that scene, because that body, that cast was so delicate, they had to be like really quick with that scene. Like They had to get it in that boat, get that snake in there. And that was the whole point of even doing that, was trying to get that snake shot. So they said they had to do it like really quick. And that was in one take they did that in. So they got that scene off in one take. Is the next scene? The next scene Angela we get is just watching all the girls do something, and she starts talking to what's his name. Is that what's going on? Well, before that, you get like the ambulance showing up and taking off Kenny, oh. and Mel once again is trying to write it off as an accident. Like, oh, he must have bumped his head. Well, here's something I want to mention real quick: that there's a cop in this scene. This is the first right. time that we get a cop. I'll mention him because he pops up later in the film. He does pop up later. Oh in the film. my gosh, it's fuck, it's the best. <laughs> So, anyhow, the cop's kind of like, oh, yeah, that sounds logical. Like, he might have bumped his head. I want to point out I'm not an expert. Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck? And Ronnie wants to say something and gets kind of cut off. Like, no, it was an accident. He drowned. He he fucking drowned. (laughs) He's like, no, I got to go call the kid's fucking parents. So, Mel, scumbag Mel Brooks, (laughs) walks off. The cop goes off. And the cop, before he does, he's like, hey, what did you want to say? He's like, this is being Ronnie. He's like. I just remember that kid being a really good swimmer. <laughs> it's like it's fucking weird. He was a good swimmer. Mm-hmm. That's, but you see like all these little kids kind of hovering around that scene and the ambulance and all that stuff. A lot of those kids were relatives of a lot of people in the cast and crew. So that's a lot of the extras. Anyway, that's what you get. But then, yeah, you get Angela. Just She's staring off. She's always in that one spot near the lake. Underneath okay. that little... That's right. And she's staring off and, like, the girls are down in the lake. Yeah. And what's... I think it? Paul comes over. Paul comes over. Chit-chatting with her. And they start chit-chatting. And they chit-chat. Oh, there's a volleyball game. It's not that scene yet. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, there's it a volleyball scene going on. The point was that she was chit-chatting with Paul. Yeah. And, and May I... comes over. And... No, actually, Judy first comes over, breaks him up. May comes over and is like, you're either going to come over here and play volleyball. You can't come over here talking to boys and do nothing else. 
Are you not a fucking prima donna? <laughs> and I paused it, and I immediately wrote down, why is nobody making a big deal that after, like, a week of being at camp now, she's suddenly talking? Yeah. The whole point, you motherfuckers didn't like her in the first place was because she was weird and didn't You know talk. what it is. They're jelly that yeah. she's not talking to them. She's talking to boys and but stuff. Now, but that's the thing. So... When Meg says that to her, right after that, one of the other girls goes up and sort of sticks up for it's her. It's Susie. Susie doesn't have a big part, but yeah, she does stick up for her. And then... It's like, she's just talking to boys. And then Susie, Angela talks to Susie. And I had to pause it again, and I'm like, wait, is she just talking to people now? Yeah, I know, right? Is this what happens? Uh, and no, nobody makes a big deal of it at all. Suddenly, everybody forgets that she was fucking silent until it makes a difference again later on. Uh, I know what happens here. All right. So what apparently was happening, too, is the fact that Paul was asking Angela if she wanted to go to the movies with him. She's like, huh, they're playing a movie anyway. He's like, no, no, no. I mean, like, you want to go see it together. So there was a movie being played, which we see they're leaving that little, I guess, that rec center or whatever because that movie just got out. But Paul and Angela are starting to kind of get real friendly, right? Mm -hmm. He wants to walk her back to the bunk. Judy's being a bitch once again. Anyway, Paul and Angela wind up going back. Oh, yeah, he does. He winds up giving her a kiss. This is like, he gives her those pop kisses. He gives her that pop kiss. He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if I should have done that. She's like, no, it's all right. Can I do it again? <laughs> Can I do what again? Give you another good night kiss. Yeah. And it's just like, Mwah. it's just like, kind of like a, you know, whatever. <laughs> and then right after that, Judy comes up to him and is a bitch again to him. Yeah. And she goes, what's up? I didn't think she was your type. And I had immediately write down, like, how do you know what his type is? What is his type? Because she made kind of a big deal of it. Like, he's got a weird type, and he's like, shut up. Yeah. And I'm like, based on what I know at the end of the movie, I'm like, does she know something? That but we no, know? she doesn't know. No, she has no idea. But it is kind of implied that she does know something, maybe? Maybe? But I'm like, what is his type? Does he have a fucked up type? What's his type? Well, it's like, he's only, what, like, 14, maybe? Like... Who the fuck has a type at that age? What's his type? <laughs> Anyone who will let him? Anybody who will touch my tip. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> no, no, that's being too far, but anyway. Alrighty, so we're now back in the boys' bunks, right? And there's another prank. Some more hijinks. Some more hijinks. With a weird fallout of the hijinked kid pulling a fucking knife. Yeah, a little bit of knife play. No one gets hurt. Gene Stop. breaks it up. The kid, it was Mozart, right? Yeah, Mosey. Mosey. Fell asleep with his porn, I want to point out. The magazine laying across his chest. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's what gets him to sleep. Which counselor came in and broke it was It was Gene. Gene comes in, breaks it up, just in time? I don't know. It wasn't, like, looking very harrowing. Aw, oh, Gene. We were uh, just playing. Gene goes and just grabs the fucking knife by the blade. Yeah, and not only that, but he well, he's like, you're not going to get it back until the end of summer. But he puts it in a place, like, it's not inconspicuous. It's like, I'm just going to put it over here underneath some clothes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that, What? You know, you're not taking it away. You're just stashing it. Then, God, after that scene, Oh, you get... Paul comes back, and he's like, this has been the best night of my life. Mm-hmm. Lights out. They have, like, a little pillow toss at Paul moment, and they all tackle him. Yeah, that was weird, too, because that seemed kind of out of nowhere. Group tackle. And weirdly, like, cool, we're all a big happy family. Come together. Yeah. You get the scene with Meg flipping out at Angela, mm, yeah, and, that's, and she gets in a little bit of it's, trouble. That, for that, that is the scene where I was mentioning where they're underneath that like little, I don't know, little cover, I guess, near the lake. But yeah, Judy comes over and interrupts Paul and Angela. Then you're right, Meg comes back over because Judy goes and tells Meg whatever. Paul goes off. Meg, like it's weird. She has this weird moment, like, "What are you scared of the water?" 
Meg ends up getting Don't a you little like bit of swimming? trouble for it, which back in the girls' dorm, I'm going to call it dorm. It's not dorm. Um, yeah. Girls' cabin. There it is, cabin. Like, Judy's giving her shit for, like, oh, Meg got in trouble because of you and this. And she throws her pillow at her, and Angela catches the pillow. <laughs> yeah, she and does. And the way the music goes, and, like, the expression on everybody's faces, it was like, was it a... Okay, first off, how bad was it that she threw a pillow in the first place? Like, even if she would have missed the catch and it would have hit her, like, ooh, big whoop, she just got hit by a fucking it's even, pillow. It's even funny but everyone takes it her. as, like, this giant fucking slight, like, ooh, she ooh. she caught the... Ooh, ooh like, caught your that, pillow, bitch. bitch. I fucking paused and laughed really hard at that for a second. Because the way that it just, like, flashes across Judy's face and in time with, like, the music and everything, it's like, <gasps> she caught the pillow. How dare she? <sighs> It upsets Judy, and Judy goes on a little tirade, and she starts asking her questions like, well, I've noticed that you don't ever take showers with the rest of us in the bunks. What are you, some kind of queer or something? She's like, I bet you haven't even had your period yet. Mm-hmm. And I, she's saying that she's not mature. And then I think it's Susie. She's like, hey, just leave her alone. She's like, oh, this is where she has her famous line about a carpenter's dream. Oh, yeah. She's uh, flat. bored and easy to screw. Yeah. Which growing up I always heard is flat as a board and easy to nail. Yeah, she says flat as a board and needs a screw. This is where Susie slaps Judy in the face. And then Judy like takes off and Susie can't believe she slapped her. And Angela's <laughs> and like, like, I'm gonna go down and talk to Ricky. Which, I'll be once back again, for supper. She sort of just addressed everybody and somebody should have been like, What the fuck? She's talking to us now. This is something I'm gonna I'm gonna play up a little bit this next scene because i like this scene it's fucking funny so angela starts walking down the hill like in between the bunks and you get the dudes up there having like a water balloon fight oh my like, god oh my god let's have a fucking water balloon fight on Wait, the roof i was about with to some say short when you say up there you mean they're having a water balloon fight on the roof of a cabin yeah so fucking cool hey that's how i imagine them like they're all like hey some of my buddies had a place where we used to hang out on the roof a lot so yeah. that was kind of like i saw that and i was like i get that we would have a water balloon fight that's a big there. roof yeah it wasn't like they were just on an eve they were on a big roof that was cool still this is see, what I thought. you're not this gonna see very many parents funny. letting their kids get away with that shit these days no but. not wearing those shorts <laughs> <laughs> i hope not anyway angela's walking and i think it might have been bill one of the guys winds up blasting her with a water balloon and you see, like, in the background, Mel, Scumbag Brooks, is, like, swinging a baseball bat. So he's, like, giving some kids instruction on how to swing a baseball bat. Yeah. And you see Kenny. He's hanging out with his New York Yankee shirt outside of his bunk. And he sees it. And then he goes on another little cursed, you know, like, he's cussing. Oh, he's yeah. going, I'm going to fucking get you guys. Oh, you yeah, fucking fuck bricks. You. Oh, fuck you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, he's doing all that. I thought it was funny because they're out there laughing at him and shit. Like they easily could have pegged him with several water balloons. And all they did was throw a water balloon at her. Big deal. Yeah, so he's getting to her defense. He's out there yelling and screaming and cussing and all that shit. Once they're all separated, what, the popular boys are going to go swim again or something? Mel winds up restraining him, and they both they all get in trouble. It was yeah. kind of a big joke. Anyway, this is where that dude Bill. He's yeah, like the leader like, of the I'm going to take losers. a wicked dump first. I got to take a wicked dump, yo. And he's got, like, a magazine that he's selecting. I know what he's doing. I know what co-worker dump is. <laughs> Especially Wicked Dump. Yeah, I'll go, I got to get a Wicked Man, Dumps I'm, out of me. I am going to be there a while, guys. I'm going to drop a Wicked Load. <laughs> Just 
<laughs> Don't wait up. I'll meet up with you guys. That's right. Daddy's got to take care of business. It did kind of seem like he was actually taking real dump, though. He totally was. So, yeah, he's in the uh, the stall in the bunk taking the dupes, and everybody's gone, the, the guys, because they're getting ready to play a baseball game. But here's where that knife comes back into play. And I was going to say, but this before is that, f- too, there's like, this, this is kind of. It's weird. Kind of the first bit of misdirection, I guess. This is the first bit where you're like, what the fuck's going on? Yeah, because when. Because you know where the knife came from, I guess. Well, yeah, yeah. we know where that knife came from. And also, they put like a broomstick maybe through the door of the the shitter. Mm -hmm. So they're kind of like closing them in. And then they slice the back of that little netting. Heard's looking for the candy man, bitch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. It wasn't a hook. He got a knife. (laughs) That would have been perfect. (laughs) That would have been so funny. And the bees. Yeah. like Here's something funny, too. They had that bee's nest for wasp nest. And they were like, yeah, there was no bees in that. <laughs> he's like, I just, I just fucking hold them. that. And they're like, he's like, if you watch me like shaking it, you don't see anything coming out. I'm just shaking it. Yeah, Bill's in there taking a deuce. And, and he gets attacked by that. bees. Yeah, and he can't get out of that fucking stall. But when he finally does, he slumps over. And then we get this scene where they're kind of like scanning across him. And you see all these bees covered in his face. Uh, first thing, <laughs> it's like bees don't really do that. When they it talk to you like that? It was always you, Bill. It was always you, Bill. I would have been a whole different movie, right? It was always you. I would have been perfect. That would be a whole different tie-in to a different uh, universe. Well, the best part is, like, the next scene is obviously scumbag Mel Gibson. I mean, not Mel Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> that, too. That's also a movie I want to watch where Mel Gibson is running this camp. Especially scumbag Mel Gibson, like drunk sugar tits Mel Gibson. Oh my gosh, that'd be fucking awesome. Making fun of Jews rather than looking like one. Oh, oh my gosh. sorry. <laughs> the irony. Scumbag Mel Brooks, obviously, in the next scene is trying to figure out how to keep it quiet again. But the one thing I had to write down was <laughs> he asked some, "How many are left?" <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, because they're having that dis- – it's like he and – is it uh, – uh, Ronnie? Ronnie are having that discussion, yeah. And, and he's like, we need to start consolidating. We need to only have X amount of kids. They don't want it shut down, but they also have to consolidate it. <laughs> but it's just <laughs> how many are left? It's something like, oh, about 25. You're like, all right, we can still manage to do the end of the fucking summer. But he's all – he's like, nobody's going to want to send their kids back. Yeah, he's ruined. freaking out. They're ruined. And by uh, the end of it – But hold on. This is where you get a slight hint. Of who he thinks might be the perpetrator. Say, by the end of it, you realize yeah. that he's positive that he knows who it is. Yeah. he. I mean, they, they know it's a killer. He knows who it is. Yeah. <laughs> so Paul... Seen uh, it in his demon eyes or something like that. Yeah. Paul winds up scaring Angela. There's a co- cool kind of per, uh, first-person point of view from like some of the trees or bushes, maybe. And Angela's kind of like... She's leaning out near a bunk. And Paul sticks his hand out and scares her. And anyhow, they talk about going to the lake, and this is where they kind of have their like little teen romance. Oh, let's yeah, smooch down by the lake. And so they wind up having like this like he starts to kiss her. He's laying a little bit on top of her, and she just kind of goes like, "Uh oh," because he's starting to make his move. Yeah, you get a flashback, and the flashback is kind of like <laughs> this is fucking great. So this is where it answers your questions from the beginning. Who was that guy in the beginning of the film? Well, here's the guy your answer. In the beginning was absolutely the father's lover, and this is the best part. The kids caught them in bed together, and how they do that? They're in the door frame, and they're just like, 
<laughs> Daddy's cuddling his boyfriend <laughs> or some man. All right, we don't know if they know who he is. But yeah, and and then then like that next little scene is the two kids on the bed. So, okay, that scene was very vague because okay, both of these flashbacks are kind of like stylized. They are. They're super stylish. A little stylish. bit surreal, super stylized. Dreamy, right? Yeah. Dreamy. And the implication was that the kids were somewhat half recreating what they just saw, half like playing doctor and just sort of exploring each other. But I want to point out something else. Spoilers. If you don't want to hear this, tune back in in like 20 seconds. Yeah, take a little pee-pee break. I thought the important part of it was that it ended with the boy very pointedly pointing at his sister. Not like he was going to touch her, but like, I'm this. This doesn't work because I'm this. Yeah, it could be implying something to her. We don't, Especially because it's like a dream, you know what I mean? I, th- I thought that was very much foreshadowing for the end. Yeah, I mean... Knowing what we know, yeah, it's definitely a big foreshadow moment. But this freaks Angela out. Like, she gets up and runs off. Paul, understandably, is like, hey, what's going on? So then I think the next thing we get is the capture the flag. Yeah, it's capture the flag. (laughs) Another camp moment. A variant of capture the flag involving, it's kind of like flags like you'd use in flag football. Yeah. We actually used to do the same variant in my gym class growing up. That's cool. I was going to ask, too. I mean, I know this is we're well into the movie. Did you ever go to camp growing up? I went to a camp, but it wasn't like a normal summer camp. There wasn't any like the summer camps like this around here. Right. Except for, I mean, I guess Camp Up Most was probably qualify. I know that they did a lot of some of the same sort of stuff, but it was also like a real Jesus-y camp. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so my other option was I did go to what was called law enforcement camp. Oh, damn. I think because it was put on in part with the local law enforcement, help fund it and get people out there and shit. And we'd stay for a week out at the old barracks, at the old Civilian Conservation Corps barracks at Savinac uh, Tree Nursery, like 45 minutes from where I lived. And it wasn't shit like Capture the Flag, yeah. but there was like activities and shit. So. No, I can honestly say, like, even during that time period, because I would have been around my, you know, age group whatever but i never did go to camp man the only i think as closest thing i went to camp is <laughs> just growing up with my friends and playing in the fucking woods and stuff just we were doing this stuff on our own without being in a camp and it was only like a week-long camp it wasn't a summer camp yeah no yeah as far as like this i have no connection to it yeah even though we have some co-workers who did it's kind of cool i guess going back to the capture the flag right <laughs> yeah so the variant of capture the flag the the dude explains is a variant that actually played in gym so i was like oh cool that's fun but the funny thing is is when he first starts up he's just like all right gangsters listen up because this is going to be fun <laughs> <laughs> he was trying he was trying to sell it to them <laughs> dude i fucking love this movie all right gangsters <laughs> all right gangsters here's what we're gonna do now, Ricky winds up running to Angela. He's trying to get her to play the game. Like, they're going to come up with a way to capture the flag through the woods. So, they're off sneaking in the woods. And uh, Judy's getting fresh with Paul. Well, because Judy just doesn't want to see Angela happy. And that's being made more and more clear throughout the entire movie. Yeah, like, she's being weird to him. He doesn't know why. And, and it's also Judy's playing off in a of couple like, scenes, including after the one that's about to happen, it kind of seems like Judy does, in fact, still have some feelings for Ricky. But she's too cool for school now. Yeah, it's... Now that she has tits, she's too cool for school. Yeah, she's got a little... She can't be slumming it with Ricky, even though she still kind of likes him. You're right. She's at that awkward 
teen stage where where she sees somebody who's awkward who without even trying is actually becoming happy and she yeah. can't stand it no that's why she's playing these little tricks or mind games on these people's but the whole point is yeah we see judy and paul making out angela runs off ricky's all pissed off well she meant for angela to see but ricky ended up seeing too yeah fucking judy paul tries to apologize to angela and then Judy interrupts again and starts to mock her, right? Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, like you said, what are you seeing her and all this other stuff? This is where Mel... Well, because now Ricky definitely isn't around, so she doesn't yeah. care. She doesn't this care happens if she's near a the lake. Mel winds up cutting off Ricky. Like, he grabs him. So I was going to say, it was during this time that the girls grab Angela. Yep. And they're going to go throw her in the lake. And that's what gets Ricky all And Ricky gets all fired up. And I had to write this down because it was absolutely ridiculous. Now, Mel thinks that Ricky's the killer, which is fucked up to begin with. But yeah, he he gets pissed because Ricky's like, shit, I have to go do something. He needs to help his cousin. And Mel starts getting on him for that. So, and he's oh, like, wait, yeah. wait, wait. No, there's a kid under your care that is in a legitimately dangerous situation <laughs> that you can see with your own eyes. And you're not just not going and helping. You just stopped somebody from going and helping. Yeah, he's being negligent on all kinds of fronts. But here's an even funnier one that's going to come up in a second. He has a vested interest in one of those party members that are helping with the water situation. Oh, that was my very next note because of what happens in the next scene. Yeah, so here's what I want to say. This is funny, too. As Angela's getting picked up by Meg... She keeps telling me, she's like, let me go. Don't put me in the water. Don't put me in the water. I was like, damn, that's so, they're also New York, man. But she does. She winds up getting dunked. And then Ricky winds up helping her out. And when he helps her out, this is something that's important, too, because it's easy to miss. There's a, like, a group of little kids, like, splashing oh, they, yeah. dirt at them. <laughs> I saw that. And with that the, comes back. That's the thing. Those kids are the ones that are being looked after by the other kind of Jack Diesel counselor. Yeah. How there's the three of them, and two of them get more screen time. He's the third. Yep. I think his name's Eddie in this film. Mm -hmm. Anywho, you're right. They walk off, and they see those kids just start splashing the dirt at them. Razor, laser, and taser. (laughs) Something like that. Fucking... It's pretty good. So, is it the very next scene that Meg walks up to Scumbag Brooks? Yeah. Does she have a legitimate him, interest in Scumbag Brooks? Uh, it appears so, because she asks him, she's like, uh, you remember that dinner you promised me back then? She's like, uh, she, she kind of wants to take him up on that offer, and he's like, oh, sure, how about like 9, 9.30? She's like, well, all right, and cool. She's been trying to get kind of close to him the entire movie, too. He does slap her on the show. ass in that cafeteria scene earlier mm-hmm. on, when she's like, I guess going up to confront Into I mean, Scumbag Angela. Mel Brooks. She... What is what, what does she have to gain from that? Her age, she can't be all right for character's purposes' sake. She can't be older than like eighteen or nineteen. In real life, she can't be more than like sixteen or seventeen. <laughs> and the guy's like in his sixties for reals, right? And looks like a scumbag version of Mel Brooks. Oh my gosh, he wears those golfer pants too. They're fucking slick. Well, I was gonna say so when he comes in later on looking for her after everything goes down. Like, that's his version of getting dressed up, right? Oh, you fucking know it is. <laughs> that's he's his take, version of getting dressed up, He's taking her to right? the clubhouse, son. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> yeah, he's going out in that golf polo. Oh, that's him getting all fancied up, right? Yeah, you know. This... Wasn't it like green and like green and white oh, ensemble? Shit, I don't know, man. He was hitting the links, if you know what I mean. 
so Meg winds up going back to the bunk, right? She's wanting to take a shower. The girls are all in queue. She's like, uh, is it okay if I skip? You get, you know, mm-hmm. the stairs. She goes to a vacant bunk because, you know, they had to consolidate. She goes to the empty one. And while she's in the empty one, she's humming out some bullshit tune. Right? She's, I don't know what she's doing. Oh, what the fuck that is, yeah. But while she's in there, you see somebody wee, going wee, in. Wee, wee, wee. Yeah. It goes to the back of the shower wall. Yeah, because it's just like this little compact shower. And that same, was it the same knife, right? From Yeah, the same knife from before. Okay. Goes to her back, and you have to give her credit. And when I say her, Meg, she does a shitty job of pretending like she's getting stabbed in the, in the back, all the way down her back. Like the way. Oh, yeah, it just rips uh, all the way down through. Oh, ouchies. It was a very, very uh, awkward yeah. death because it looked a little bit erotic. Yeah, I mean, you kind of. She's young, mind you. Yeah, like, and that was why it was awkward because I was like, if they were all 20 somethings. It wouldn't be a big deal. And they'd be showing her tits. Exactly. And but she's supposed to be like 17. But they're still having her act as if she's being taken from behind rather than being stabbed oh so, and yeah. fucking back gutted. So, yeah, she would have been like barely legal, like 18. Mm-hmm. I'm looking this up. Yeah, she, she would have been 18, barely legal, like I said. But they took advantage of that. <laughs> it's still an awkward death. It is. So we see Meg get stabbed in the back. She's dead. We even get to see the knife getting rinsed off awkwardly in the shower. Mm-hmm. All right. After that. Oh, well, I can tell you the next thing I actually took notes about after that. I can't remember exactly the order of some of that shit towards the end. But uh, I know that uh, Judy's trying to get her rocks off with the dude in the fucking in the cabin. Yeah, she does get to that point. Paul's trying to talk to Angela as I got at the social. I guess they're at another social. He's trying to apologize and all that shit for doing what he did. All she wants to do is see Ricky. Mm-hmm. All right, Judy. I put Judy's acting like a cunt. <laughs> I think she's just got like a bunch of dudes hanging out with her. Angela winds up telling Paul to meet me at the waterfront. Is what mm-hmm. I put. She wants to meet him. All right, this is where you see that scene of Eddie, that other muscle dude with the kids. He's taking those kids out for some kind of like little camping, overnight camping over, trip. Yeah, exactly. Just set up tent and have a little overnight camp two of the counselors got the night off the rest had to work the social except for eddie who had to take those kids yeah and that's out. why meg is gonna have dinner with mel well the kids kind of get scared they want to go back eddie winds up taking like two of the kids with him and leaves the rest behind mm-hmm. and when he leaves you get another shot of the hatchet that they had yeah because he does take he's like what are you doing with a hatchet like this little five six year old kid's got a hatchet but yeah that comes into play because somebody goes in the tent with those kids this uh, is where Mel asks about Meg's whereabouts at that social gathering. No one's seen her. Well, I think before this, at some point, I had to write this down, was, does he check the social first, or does he check the cabin he first? He goes to the social first, and then he goes back to the cabin. Because that's where they last seen her taking shower. So he assumes that he, she's at that bunk. Oh, okay. So, okay, yeah. So he goes, and you see him all dressed up in social. And that's social. where Junie's goes- with Chris, because they're trying to make out, and he hides... And, you know, he finds out that Meg went next door. So he bounces out. Yeah. And Chris is all Chris is like, up. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get caught. And she's like, she says something to the fact like. Well, so this is the funny part. That's what I had to write down was he's like, see you tomorrow. She's like, oh, chicken shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he's like, well, chicken shit. <laughs> he's like, see you tomorrow. And she goes, don't bet on it. And I wrote down, there's only 25 kids. You are absolutely going to see him tomorrow. Yeah, yeah don't bet on Like, hold on now. You know, damn well. There are only 25 left. We already learned that. You are absolutely <laughs> going to see that to him tomorrow. Yeah, Vandell 
talking about Pacific Rim here is like, I'm peacing out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we get finds to see Mel finds Meg, and he's freaking out. He has like all these ranges of motion. Not Meg. Well, not you, Meg. Maybe not. <laughs> he has ranges of emotion. Like I'm not sure if quick. they were necessarily the right emotions. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm not, not sure what emotions they were. It seemed I, like disbelief, a shock, Especially because his second line, I didn't revenge. remember what his first one was, but his second line is, that's too bad. <laughs> oh my God. I was going to put something in something tonight. <laughs> that's too bad. <laughs> I know. No, I'm not going to say what I God damn. I was about to go down a dirty, rotten hole. Oh, I think he was going to too. That's what I was going to say. I don't want to say it. But anyway, yeah, it's fucked up. Well, while he's over there. He still thinks it's Ricky. He still thinks it's Ricky. He knows it's Ricky. At this point. Well, we get a cue back into Judy, right, in her bunk. And she's got the curling iron and she's doing her hair. And somebody shows up in the fucking door frame. And if you have the Blu ray version, like an updated version of this film that's not VHS. You can clearly see who the you person is. Who, yeah. I'm not gonna say who it is quite yet, but you can see it's a boy uh, in a wig. I might. I didn't see it in 1080, but I saw it in 720, mm-hmm. and you can see it. Okay. Yeah. Well, in the VHS and like some other, maybe even the theatrical, you know, you got to take in mind that this came out in '83. It was a much darker print, so you can't see it quite as well. It looks more like a silhouette, not so much in the updated version. All right. So that's all I say about that. Yeah, Judy gets knocked out. And okay, so it's kind of fucked up. So the the pillow goes over the face, but that's mostly for the sound, from what I, I yeah. Remember. At first, I thought, okay, she's gonna get suffocated. So then you get the killer grabbing the curling iron. Oh yes, and opens it up a little bit too. Yeah, was the implication that the curling iron went up the vag? This is the second moment I was talking about with the hands. Yeah, because it is implied that it went up, you know, the OV train. Her hands go up, and she's like, you know, waving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another wave scene. Another wave scene. Yeah, I was like, I think it's implying that it went up the coot. Well, that's what she gets. Because oh, she was being a coot the whole movie. Yeah, it's fucked up, but that's what it's implied. The body gets put underneath the bed. Eddie winds up coming back. And when Eddie, that's like the other guy with the kids, right, that took him overnight camping, he sees what's left behind when he returns. Of the kids. Oh, man. He pukes. Yeah, he pukes. He he sells his part. Like he gives an honest reaction to what just probably happened. anybody would have seen. And the sleeping bags are just like chopped to shit, basically. Yeah, those kids had an untimely demise, and it's implied that the kids who died were the same kids who were splashing the dirt mm-hmm. at Angela and Ricky. Yeah, this what is what I get wrote the phone next. Call. Yeah, is that we're getting really close, guys. I can't remember what leads up to it necessarily, but I, what I wrote next was this is where scummy fucking Mel Brooks catches up to Ricky and goes full 2001 ape scene on him. Do you remember how that whole scene builds up? Because I remember it. <laughs> Ricky, he like uh, he said that the dinner was so shitty he had to lay down because his stomach was hurt and he wanted to go for a midnight snack. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And the kid's like, no, you know it's closed, and he lets him in anyway. And he comes out with like all these snickers, candy, you know, candy bars, whatever. Yeah, and that's where Scumbag, Scumbag Brooks. Scumbag Brooks, yeah, yep. and he goes full 2001 ape scene on him. Damn, he fucks him up, too. Beats the shit out of him. Well, you think that he beat him to death, is kind of what it's implied. And as he's leaving, he's walking across the archery range. Yeah, after he beats him, because he's kind of like in this weird Days. mindset, yeah. Like, he's upset that, of course, that he thinks Ricky's the killer, 
But he just fucking, like I said, ape fucked them. <laughs> and Meg's dead. Yeah. And, and he suddenly dead. has a weird obsession with Meg. Because he yeah. mentions, like, I did it for you or something like that. It's, but, yeah, it's weird. But then he sees the killer. It can't be you. It can't, can't be. be. It can't be. And then, the here's throat. something that's cool about this scene. I mean, outside of the fact that you get the really cool arrow shot through the neck. They did this in a really cool sequence, this whole scene. All right, and I'll be brief with it. The actor, Mike Kellen, was nervous about that scene, about how all that shit was going to play out. And I think it was Ed French and the others that were worked in the special effects were like all right here's what we're gonna do <laughs> See, there's a piece on the back that when the front piece gets filmed mm-hmm. it pops up at the same time it's kind of like a simultaneous thing so if you watch that scene you'll see the arrow come through the neck first and then that back piece come up slightly right behind it okay to imply the you know that it mm-hmm. went through his throat yeah so all that was kind of a cool effect but they had to demonstrate to the actor how it was going to happen. How it was going to happen, because he was a little nervous I about that take. I can imagine. Yeah, he's like, I don't know if I want to be shot in the fucking throat. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, but it mm. comes off really cool on camera. No, yeah, it's really cool. All right, so he goes down. Cops arrive. They search for Paul oh. and Ricky, because Paul and Ricky hasn't shown up yet. Cops arrive, and you finally get a really good close-up oh, on yes. the officer's yes. face. Yes, this is the same officer from earlier who uh, showed up for the scene of Kenny's death, or, you know, his corpse. So his mustache. Yeah. Uh, that's grease paint, right? <laughs> oh what God the fuck damn. is that? It's a funny story, too. Like, all right. So that cop, what? that is definitely not his fucking mustache, right? That's it's tape. Definitely not. Yeah, that's it's definitely not air. tape. All right, here's something funny about this whole thing. At first... It's like a kid on, at Halloween. Oh, fucking hell. The director, right, when he cast this guy, he thought he was going to need him for one take, that take at the the lake. And the guy that played that character got a different part in a different movie and had to shave his mustache. But then, then that he got reshoots. a re- Yeah, exactly. He had to do a reshoot for that scene. And he's like, oh, he showed up and he didn't have a mustache. And he's like, you know, we had to do an impromptu. <laughs> He's like, that's a, that's he's like, that's one regret I have about this film. He's like, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Oh, he's like, I wish I would have just kept him fresh faced, but he didn't. That shit is so funny because like you look at it and it's it's super obvious, man. You get, you mean you have to be blind not to see that. Jesus, we're right. we're, we're basically up mustache to the reveal, guy, right? <laughs> Pretty much. All right, Paul is waiting. Right, Paul is waiting on Angie because that's two of the kids that are missing. Paul, we don't know where he's at. We don't know where Ricky's at. We do know where Ricky's at. <laughs> Paul is waiting on Angela. Uh, she asks him to go swimming, take off your clothes. He gets butt naked. Cops and the rest, they find Ricky. It looks like he might be dead. He's not. He winds up coming to. Which, that made me happy. I like yeah. Ricky. Initially, he wasn't supposed to live. Ricky, also, Ricky seems to be pretty well adjusted for the whack job that his mom is. Ricky seems like a normal kid. Yeah, considering. You're right. All right, so we know that it can't be Ricky. He's out of the equation. All right, so we find, like I said, they find Ricky. We know that Meg is dead uh, because they find her body. I said, what the fuck, fake mustache, right? Ricky and counselor, and the counselor is Susie, the one who winds up slapping Judy earlier in the film. Mm -hmm. All right, so they hear somebody humming a tune. They say singing, but she's not singing anything. So you hear the humming, and you see what it looks like. Angela's petting Paul's head, and it looks like he's, you know, he's naked, and she's just kind of holding his cradled body. Cradling him. And, all right. (laughs) It goes from this humming, and I'll let you I'll let you reveal it. It goes from this humming tune, really sweet and innocent, to this awkward moment now. Well, so 
You get the flashback, right? You do have a flashback before what we consider the reveal. And it's a flashback to eight years before with the aunt taking in the surviving kid. Yeah, and the surviving kid has a like a head wrap on its head. And she keeps mentioning, oh, it's going to be so great to have a girl. So you're like, oh, the girl survived. We already knew that. Yeah, it's Angela. And she says, but, you know, we couldn't have a girl. But, but you know. Now I get to have one. I mean, that, and that's the thing. This, this aunt can't sh- shut up. She is super she over just the keeps top talking. all the time. She yeah. keeps talking. She's over the top. And shit always slips out. So as she continues talking, you start realizing, like, oh, no. Oh, that wasn't the girl. Like, she's just going to have a girl anyway. Yes. And so, so it cuts oh back. Oh, God damn. Oh, and by the end, she's like, Angela, oh, what a pretty name. I think yeah, it means she, angel. Yeah, yes, that'll do, won't it, Peter? Oh, Ricky will be so excited when he comes home to find yeah, a girl. Yeah, they can't have two boys is what mm-hmm. she's implying. Oh, yeah, that, that simply wouldn't do. So it cuts back, and they're like, it can't be, because it's not Angela this entire time. You get to see Dick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, dude. When Angela stands up, Paul's head falls out of her lap. So Paul's head's been severed, and you hear this weird. It's been described as animalistic because it is kind of like weird. This weird oh, groan and the hiss, weird face that just gets frozen. Yeah. So that whole scene is awkward. It's like, oh my god, it's a boy, and it's pretty obvious why that he says that. Ronnie, dick. There's a dick on that chick <laughs> that we thought was Angie, but it's Peter. Yeah, yeah. So the whole point, all right. The whole point of that was Angela was the killer. Angela was not a girl. Angela was the boy at the beginning of the film all along. He was forced into being a girl. So they had an identity crisis throughout the film. Exactly. Because, you know, who does Angela wind up becoming friendly to at first? Well, I was going to say, for all the reasons that wrongly that fucking scumbag Mel Brooks was connecting the murders to Ricky, you also have reasons for all the murders to go to Angela. Yeah. And it makes it makes total sense because everybody who picks on Angela winds up dead in the film, mm-hmm. whether it's counselor, whether it's bad kids, whether it's little kids. Everybody does somebody get away? I feel like Chris... oh, the only person who got away was actually I think Artie guy got scalded the uh, pervert. Oh yeah, he didn't die. He just he didn't got die. He severely just... third degree burned, mm-hmm. especially his face. Oh man. Oh, I'll put it away. She fucked him up for life. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I might not have killed you, but I fucked you up good. Yeah, I think I think that's. And that's, god damn it, that's sleepaway camp. I heard the total body count for this film was 12. Sounds about right. Yeah. So, I mean, if you consider the kids, the council, yeah, that's what it sounds about um, right. Also, like, us just talking about it does not describe the insanity that there's this movie. You need to watch this movie. Oh, it's I mean, like, yeah, it's hard to do. It's like Bad News Bears mixed with fucking Salute Your Shorts yeah, mixed you with Wet Hot American Summer with weird bits of, like, the early Friday the 13th. You do. You get this feel from the 80s, right? Because it's, like I said, it was kind of sandwiched in between all these slasher films. It's a slasher itself, but not necessarily in the same format. It does spawn all these interesting tropes, whether it, it originated from this or not. It's still interesting because it shows up later in films, whether it's comedies, sketches. I've even seen, just perusing the YouTube channels, Robot Chicken. Oh, Yeah where we were talking about South Korean for a minute earlier, they were spoofing a little sketch about this film and about certain death scenes. It's like, oh my God, I'm referencing this film that nobody knows about from the 80s. <laughs> it's like, here we are talking about it. So yeah, for me, it's like, it's not the greatest film we're ever going to do. It's not the worst film we're ever going to oh, do. Oh, it's fantastic. 
I can't wait. Like I already said earlier, I can't wait to show it to more people. Yeah. It's tame enough to where the kills aren't over the top. They're not very violent. I mean, in in themselves, they're violent, but you don't see the violence. You see the aftermath. So in that way, it's more accessible probably for a wider audience. It's still amazing to me that this film made $11 million. Yeah. Uh, Crushed it at the box office. And who knows, like, what since and, like, video sales and this and that. Well, exactly. So it had enough interest in the internet community for people who like this film. I was mentioning that, like I said, Fangoria got with the guy who ran the website, like the Sleepaway Camp website for fans. And they got the cast, who the cast, most of them, like, we had no idea, like, the impact it had for people later on, you know, let alone Mm -hmm. for that time period. So... To them, it was a very humbling experience. It helped kind of launch their careers, even though this is kind of a weird launching pad of sorts. But it does hold a place in in horror, especially during that time period where it it was unique. It's still unique. I mean, we're doing it 30 plus years later. And Jesus, the ending. (laughs) Yeah. Here's something I do want to talk about the ending really quick without rambling too much. Is I'd mentioned that Felissa Rose, her mother was very protective of her not filming death scenes. She's like, she can be in every other scene except for the scenes that involve the deaths that she was okay. applied in, right? So the the hands that you see doing all the killing are Ricky's. Ricky's. Yeah. So it's Ricky's hand. You even see him in the silhouette we talked about in Judy's door frame. So mm-hmm. spoiler. So there's theories like, oh, maybe it was two killers. Maybe Ricky was helping her kill. Well, and there's a scene too where he sits down like, we'll show them. Yeah. So there's been implications. Nobody will reveal anything too much, you know, granted. I think he's in on it. It would make sense. And that's Consider how she the got the knife. That's how she got the knife so easy, too. Yeah. How would she have known about the knife? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody had to drop some truth nuggets on her. But anyhow, watch this. Watch this. Watch yeah. this. If you didn't I know already watch this, there's a lot this. of confusion about like who is Martha. What is the whole family dynamic like? It's not too bad. No. The way I look at it is this: one of the kids survived. The boy who we think is the girl was really the boy. I think the kid's dad was the aunt. I think that they were brother and sister. Right. Yeah. And the gay lover might or might not have been her husband. Oh. Because it, we know that the husband's oh, not there. Oh, because we don't talk about that. Yeah. He left. It's kind of implied that he left. So oh. So I'm thinking that her brother was fucking her husband. And it made her kind of cuckoo because her brother's fucking her well, husband. Well, I think she was probably a little bit cuckoo anyway. Well, but. yeah. And that probably drove her into hyper nuts. Mm-hmm. But as a guilt trip, because her husband left and her brother's dead, she's taking care of her brother's kid. Therefore, that's why she's the aunt. Right. Yeah. Because how else would she be connected to those kids? I mean, outside of being the, the kid's mom, but Angela, mm-hmm. Peter. Yeah, anyhow, that's that's my take on that, the family unit. Uh, yeah. The lover being her husband makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And the reason why he left is because his fucking lover just died, her brother. He can't stay for that, let alone taking care of the kid. <laughs> That's even more fucked up. Right. Yeah. So he, he hit Splitsville. What I was going to say is that at the end, this is another spoiler, so if you don't want to hear it, tune out. But I was telling you about the mom being protective of her daughter, Felissa, in the kill scenes. She was also protective of the fact that she didn't want her daughter being in the end scene. So they made a, a cast of her face mm-hmm. in a pose she does is at the end. Oh, yeah, because there's at least one far away shot where you can tell that it's not natural at at all yeah the eyes the guy found at a taxidermy that was a local taxidermist it's fucked up 
He said that they matched her eyes, right? Mm -hmm. It looks like, I mean, they did a great job. He says basically it was just like... That's one of the most terrifying images I've ever seen on a fucking horror movie. He said it was like a a potato chip thin cast they made, made out of like dental adhesives, uh, just kind of piecing it together. But (laughs) they had to hire a local college guy for that scene. Okay. Right? And so they said because he was nervous, they had to bribe him with getting drunk. And they paid him a couple hundred bucks, and they shaved him from head to toe, and he put the mask on. And it was funny because the kid who played Ricky was like, "He's like, yeah, we were all on set, we were watching it, and the guy was crying, and it was really awkward." <laughs> <laughs> but they finally got him to do it, and I was like, "That's funny in a way because he's the one making those fucking animal noises." Yeah. And he's the one with the mask on, but he, that person's never come out publicly and said that was me. Like to this day, a person still unknown. Okay. To the public. Uh, they don't funny. want to be like, that's my dick. That's, yeah, that's my little dick. Y'all see my dick. Y'all saw my dick. <laughs> that Y'all was saw me. my dick. <laughs> yeah, so that's my take on this film. That's some of the nuggets. And just learning about some of the cast members, too. Uh, that's really neat. I'm really glad that we finally did this movie. We've been we've been kind of toying with this one as an idea for a bit now. Yeah, I know this one kind of gets shitted on, you know, and for some, some obvious reasons, <laughs> right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. But in its defense, this is what I'll say. In its defense, it's, also, it's fantastic. It's a great film, man. It's uh, when I say great film, I don't mean it's like it's not in the in the pantheon. It's entertaining. Of, yeah, it's not Schindler's List. No, no. Thank God. I'm not trying to take a dump on it either, being slight handed. But the people who work on this film, like I said, they still work together. They became a close knit family. Like I said, most of them are from New York area. But it was kind of cool seeing like how the fandom of this film helped reunite them years later and it got them recognition and they're doing more parts because of it. And, you know, had it not been for that kind of the stuff that we do, maybe not on that kind of level, but, you know, t- just talking about these films and building a network, it shows that a lot of these people who might take it for granted, the projects they work on, like, yeah, there's people who still admire it, you know, still Hell holds yeah. the weight of time, even though it's dated. It's still a great film to watch with your friends and family. Well, and I know, so, went to one of our local theaters before, the Roxy, and I know that Saturdays they do, like, cult movies, and so I know that this is going to roll around at some point. So, I've, I figure the next time... Oh, if it does, I'm totally Roxy's, it yeah, I know they'll play it at some point, so as soon yeah, as the Roxy, Roxy a pretty good job support the Roxy, they're awesome, but as soon as they bring it around, I'm going to go check it out for That'd sure. That'd be fun. Especially because I had a miss when they did Color Clowns from Outer Space not too long ago. Yeah. I think it was kind of weird timing that we did it before they dropped it, but I was mm-hmm. like, ah, I've already seen this so many times now. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, it still would have been neat, but I was just like, ah, I just sort of talked about it for two hours. <laughs> exactly. And we invested so much time researching it, et cetera. But... However, we're going to move on to our next episodes. This was awesome. I'm so glad we did it. Yes. But we're going to experiment a little bit with the next episode and not with mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, we've already done, we've been down that rabbit hole. And we're going to try to talk about the first season of the TV series Hannibal. Yeah, which is going to be an interesting way for us to do an episode that spans several episodes in a series. So I want to I was just thinking about it as we came up with this idea. Hannibal, known for horror, as a horror character, Silence of the Lambs, Red Dragon, Hannibal, all those. Exactly. Which I think legit for the most part, most people would count them as horror movies and him as being a horror character. The show, a little bit more of a thriller procedural. I'm still excited to delve into it because it is far gorier and counts as splatter in my opinion. 
Wow. It is far gorier than any show ever I would have imagined ever being on NBC. It's going to be really cool talking about what they got away with for TV, like prime time. And we're not quite sure. I mean, obviously, we're not going to go through the entire episode, season bit by bit for you guys. So that's where the experiment comes in. But we got some ideas. We're really excited to talk about it. Get yourself prepared to because it's it's, time it's, an, it's an great amazing series. version of the character. Gosh. And we love him as a horror character. I concur wholeheartedly with you that. So we get to talk about some awesome actors, a great TV series, and an interesting way of how we're going to give our take on it. And I'm excited to do that, to listen to us do that. Did that make sense? Did I say those words in the right order? right. Okay. To listen to it, follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Tuned In. I think that's all of them. Sounds about right. Basically, wherever you can get your podcast, you can find us there. We have a website, www.friedsquirms.com. Facebook, Fried Squirms. Twitter, at Fried Squirms. Instagram, Fried Squirms Podcast. And you can email us, and we will hit you back, squirmcast at gmail.com. Yeah, like I said, don't be shy. We like to hear from uh, our listeners. Give us some ideas if you have some, some recommendations. We're always up for that. Yeah, that's about all I have to say. Love you guys. Yeah, like I said, I've been enjoying it. We're starting to uh, you know, hit close to the holiday season. Probably my favorite one coming up. Uh, yeah, me too. Oh, my God. And that's going to be exciting. We're going to be doing a movie getting closer. both love for Halloween yeah, episode. So mm, yes. that's getting closer and closer. I had a pumpkin spice something earlier today. Just oh, yeah, pumpkin spice everything season. right now, homie. <laughs> I had to. I'm basic like that. <laughs> Nothing wrong with being basic. But we're basically done with this right now. So, yeah, so much like the end of this movie, we're about to rock out with our squirm out, out. <laughs> I got with a squirm out.